I'm John, and tonight I want answers about the movie Jobs. There's no stopping us now, because we're live. John wants answers. John wants answers. Give John answers. <laughs> John wants answers. I forgot my overalls. <laughs> Welcome to the show. We've got a very special show tonight. We're going to talk about the movie Jobs with people who were in the movie Jobs. Not the actors, but the people that actors were portraying. First up, we have Steve Wozniak. He was the co-founder of Apple Computer. He's the author of I Was, Full of Truths. And he's also author of the official Computer Freaks joke book. <laughs> this book is terrible. <laughs> At, At least you're honest. <laughs> also on the show, we have Daniel Kotke. Yes. He's one of the very first Apple employees. He's a college roommate of Steve Jobs. And I'm here playing Lucas Haas, who represents me virtually. Okay. <laughs> so he knows all the, the juicy stuff. And we have Andy Hertzfeld on the show. He's the author of Revolution in the Valley, and he was the original Mac software chief architect. Wizard. Uh, almost. Wizard. Yeah, so I was software wizard was my time. Yeah. Chief wizard. <laughs> so I want to thank you all for being on the show. Uh, we're going to go through the movie scene by scene. So <laughs> sit back and, uh, and get ready. We're get that. <laughs> and I'm your host, John A. Vink. I was an Apple engineer from 1996 to 2012. And in the room, we have many, many Apple luminaries. And I might call out to them as needed. <laughs> uh, OK, movie starts out uh, at the iPod intro at Town Hall. Uh, this was, in the movie, they combined two events. So really what happened was they had a press event where they showed off the iPod. And then a few days later, they had an employee meeting. We're all, where Steve talked to the employees and said, hey, look, we made an iPod. Um, in the movie, they had it like Steve was showing the employees first before anyone else. And that would never happen at Apple. So this is really a combination of, of two events. Um, and I was there. And that's really where my involvement in this movie ends. <laughs> uh, this is why I brought on three guests so they could talk about the rest of the movie. Um, so the movie starts at the end, and then it jumps to the beginning. Uh, Reed College, 1974. Yeah. Well, um, you know, in some ways, though, the start, the start of the movie was sometimes like the best part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Daniel, you were... By, by the way, let me say, I drove Steve and... You drove Steve to And his right. girlfriend, uh, Chris, Julie here, I guess. Well, drove no, them, I drove, yeah, I drove them to the college when he started. And he showed me his... They said, you have to go to these classes. Well, that's what happens when you go to college, Steve. Yeah. The first couple of years, you go to their classes. And he said he didn't like They thought you just went and you just went, dropped in on any classes you felt like. That college was just an experience to be around smart people. So he didn't go to any the first day. And the second day, stayed in this little tent in the room with, with his girlfriend. And I was all scared. I could have never been so brave to skip classes in college. Were you, you'd say you had already dropped out of Boulder at that time. No, right? I had never dropped out. No, I, I mean, know. you went to Boulder, right? I went to Boulder, and I went to uh, my second year of college, and I met Steve when I was working, um, working for a third year, a second, another year of college programming to earn money for a third year of college. So I had met him, and then we had had our year of blue boxes at Berkeley, and right. um, then when, so when he went up there, yeah, I, I drove him up. I visited him about six times. 
Did you ever hear how Steve ended up at Reed? Well, he actually, believe it or not, he, um, it might have been the only college he got into, <laughs> but he admired the fact that they had one chemistry professor who was, um, who had won a Nobel Prize. And oh my gosh, the guys at Stanford won Nobel Prizes. This was huh. a, a premier type of person that you wanted to be around and near. I can't think of who that However, was. However, you know, it was very liberal college, probably appealing to a lot of very liberal-minded, young, you know, counterculture type people too, because I went up there and I met a lot of them, his roommates and other people, and they all kind of fit that, that mold. Yeah. So the movie starts out with uh, Professor Jack, who I guess knows he dropped out. And he's trying to, like, no, Jack was the dean. The dean? Jack Dunn. Oh, he's a dean. Yes. Okay. He said, hey, you're a smart kid. You should do something with your life, pretty much, is what he said. Um, and then he went off and found some girl named Julie, who was reading a call calligraphy book. Yeah, that was all just made up. Yeah, he kind of already, like, like I said, he already knew her. They'd already uh, had sex and more. Did he, no, that's not Chris Ann. The, the no, no, no definitely not Chris Ann. Oh, okay. no. So that was just, that's oh, why it sure, sure fit, made up. Oh, it sure yeah, fit perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Does that mean no. to indicate that he was sleeping around? In well, no. Really, the truth is Steve badly wanted a girlfriend in college, didn't we all? And he didn't really find his girlfriend in college. Where did he miss, meet Chris Ann? Well, high school. High school. So she was oh. his high school sweetheart. So, but she, did she come to college to be around him as well? Uh, I met her at Reed. She came she to drove, visit. drove up just for that first week, and then I drove yeah. her back home. All right. And, and she, she came one other time. That's when I met her. Apparently, Julie's the girl you go she to. She was a, a year LSD. ahead of him in high school. <laughs> really? Chris oh. Ann. Oh. oh, okay. I think so. So, um, yeah, Julie was the LSD uh, supplier. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, um, you guys are in well, a meadow. You, you and Steve and Chris Ann are in a meadow. So was Chris Ann. Listening <laughs> to classical music that's coming from the stars or something. Well, you know, it's all just made up, but I would say that scene came off pretty well, I thought. Yeah. That scene mm -hmm. I actually felt was kind of closer to, close to the truth for the way people yeah. see it. So did, yeah. did you yeah. ever take LSD with Steve? Oh, yeah. A bunch, bunch, bunch of times. And Chris Ann, the three? No, no, like no never with Chris Ann. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so here's the funny line I have to tell you. This uh -huh. is a funny one. So in the script, I was a script consultant. Um, there was a scene where we're lying in this field, okay, and Steve goes, listen, the wind is playing Bach. And my character goes, it's called the wind, Steve, <laughs> which I never ever would have said. <laughs> and, but it was such a corny thing to say, it made me laugh. And so mm -hmm. I had to tell the producers, you know, I had to say, well, I never would have said that, but you can leave it in if you want, because it's kind yeah, of funny. And um, I was kind of relieved that they took it out because I would have been teased yeah. about that for the rest of my life. I'm sure. You're going to be teased now because <laughs> now it's on TV. Uh, so then he went off and took uh, calligraphy classes. I was in the same class. And you're yes. in that class too? Yes. And this so-called Julie was in that class too, apparently. There was no Julie. There was no Julie, right? <laughs> Actually, okay, so here, if you want to know, the, he had a big crush on Kathy Dykeman, who lives in Berkeley. Kathy, hi. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and so um, Steve found out that Kathy's father was Arthur Dykeman, famous psychologist. And so Steve's modus operandi was to track down Arthur and chat him up to get at his daughter. Okay, <laughs> right? Sounds like Steve, right? No, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't, know. I wouldn't know about them. Well, he would, he would go to the source, right, of what he wanted. And so, um, but then he, the other one that he had the big crush on was Joel. Joel, 
She's a painter in Brooklyn. I tracked her down, thanks to Google. And uh, at the time of the script edits, I said, uh, Joelle, do you realize that Steve Jobs had a huge crush on you in college? Would, do you have any anecdotes about that? Would you like to make a comment? You could be in this movie, right? They would have happily put her in the movie. Um, and she replied, I don't have anything to say. And if I did, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Anyway. Um, so then Steve <laughs> took electronics classes, but were bored and walked out during them? Well, there was no electronics. electronics at, I don't there think there was had no electronics. No electronics. That explains everything. <laughs> um, He'd taken electronics at our high school. Yes. I but I don't think he got good grades in anything. But right. he understood electronics, you know, enough to look at a schematic and solder things together. Hmm. Yeah, not like a designer. Okay, but, so and what was the name of your electronics teacher at Homestead? Uh, mm -hmm. Mr. McCollum. McCollum, John right. C. McCollum, right? Yeah. Super great guy. Great teacher, great teacher, great class. Better than any of the co local college electronics courses, actually. And Chris Espinosa was in the same class from John. Oh. And John well, died a few yeah. years ago, and there was a really nice obituary in the local paper. I don't know if you saw that. I think I saw that. Yeah. yeah. But um, certainly when we were there, they, he, our class was kind of back in vacuum tubes. <laughs> Barely, barely touching transistors, well, and you're, you're it didn't yourself, touch yeah. computers. So yeah. it didn't touch computers. So this idea he was watching a TV show, and computers are going to be the future. <laughs> well, that was the sort of TV show you saw at home on public, t normal TV, you know. Mm -hmm. Just. Uh, uh, then we see him uh, traveling to India with you. And um, there's just like a montage of things that happened there. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, that was, they didn't even ask me about that. Um, they just made that up, but it yeah. came out. Well, you know, it was vague, and so it, yeah. it was okay. Uh, then we, uh, we come back, and he's at Atari. But, you know, just to, to, to take a step back, as long as you're going through the chronology here, you know, the, the really interesting part about the Reed story was that within the first couple weeks of Reed, Steve came to the conclusion that he didn't actually need college credits. And, that's, and so before he withdrew, he went to Dudman, and, and said, you know the story, right? He went to Dudman and he goes, I, I can't really afford to be here, but if I get my money back, can I still take classes? <laughs> and, uh, what, a, what a crazy thing to think, you know? And um, I knew that when I first met Steve, but I didn't really ask him about it. Like, mm -hmm. what the hell are you thinking, Steve? I mean, because it never would have occurred to me, I, you know. Did he I get his money back? He did. He got all his money back. He got all his money back, and Dudman, you know, for your kids out there. Don't, well, he also didn't have the have the responsibility to have to actually take tests yeah. and, and get a degree, and get yes. grades, because yeah. it wasn't yes. after credit. Yes, but anyway. So, and and then uh, the last part of that story was, so then he gets his money back, and now he's like going to be auditing some classes, uh -huh. okay? And then a couple weeks later, he goes back to Dudman again, and says. Well, you know, I noticed that there are students dropping out and then there are these empty dorm rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Can I stay in one of these dorm rooms? True. That's the right, true story. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so, although they just kind of made up what the scene you see in the movie, the, the truth is Dudman was a rare guy who, who saw a spark of interest in Steve mm -hmm. and encouraged him right. to stay. And he didn't, you know, that's a very unusual thing. Just try that at Stanford, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> look, look how few people will, you know, when it doesn't really cost them much, they won't give anyway. So the movie jumps to him working at Atari, and he's uh, yelling at some guy for being an idiot for making a black and white game. 
By, by the way, he came <laughs> back from Reed College and saw that I had built my own pong game. I haven't seen one in a bowling alley. Oh. On a small little board with just 28 little $1 chips. And so that gave him the idea to go down to Atari, which was in Los Gatos, California. And he went down and he showed them the board and he wound up with a job. Wow. Nolan Bushell likes to say, well, I was hiring two Steves, but because um, he wasn't a designer, he wasn't an engineer, he never wrote any software, but he knew electronics a bit, you know? He was telling the other engineers their soldering wasn't good. Yeah. I remember driving through Los Gatos and there's an Atari building still in Los Gatos. Is that the original Atari building the, or just the original? There were a, cu there were a couple. No, no, no. Arcade games started basically in Los Gatos, California, and um, that was the only one at the time, and so did the Pet Rock. So we, I live in a good town. Uh, so Steve alienates all his colleagues, and he calls them idiots, and he smells terribly because he thinks eating fruit means he doesn't need to bathe, etc. Oh, that's not true. None of that's true. That's not true? Really. The, the fruitarian true. diet? Oh, no. It's, it's you think Nolan Bushnell. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's true. Well, I, I don't know. When I asked Al Alcorn, you know, I don't know. My statement, my statement is, in all the time I spent with Steve, sleeping, you know, next to him uh -huh. and camping out and I never ever once had the thought that he needed to take a shower. Oh, Nor really? did I. Never Nor once. did I. Okay. But uh, engineers might have complained about it because he was criticized him in his other ways. Yeah, I got a story yeah. about that. It's later in the chron chronology, but Scotty oh. took Steve for a walk around the parking lot to tell him to shower because <laughs> people were complaining. Yeah. And the reason I know that is Steve took Burl for that same <laughs> walk around the parking lot because Burl also didn't shower. And so Steve told him, he goes, well, this that's, is what Scotty told me. Now, I'm pretty yeah, like you. We funny. wouldn't care. You and yeah, I wouldn't yeah, care, yeah, wouldn't so care. we wouldn't notice. When marketing people walk through our area at my company, they say, oh, it smells like engineering in here. <laughs> so <laughs> engineering has a certain smell. We, we had a joke for Burl. We were going to get him a birthday present with, with 12 pairs of underwear marked January, February, March. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't even do That's days funny. of the week? Oh, geez. Um, so uh, Steve is frustrated at Atari, and he wants his own project. And here's uh, a story that's told over and over again. He gets offered $5,000 for fixing a game. I don't know if it's Breakout or Pong. But he takes the offer, and he tries to work on it, and he can't figure it out. And so then he calls you, Steve. It's not fixing a game, it's it was designing a new, yeah, it was a, game. a new design. Designing it, okay. Designing but he it. didn't have the design abilities, that was the problem. Right. Maybe he thought he could figure it out because yeah. he knew how to look at schematics and modify. There's a mm -hmm. step between being a technician, being able to work on stuff, and actually being able to create your own. And right. he hadn't made that jump yet. And, and that was, and it was breakout, and, um, and it was a, a real clever, clever design. They had him working on the night shift all alone. I like the fact that Atari was so open. Steve would invite me in. Yeah. I'd go in. Me too. In the middle of the night. Me too. No, you know, no, no cards you have to get through through secret right. doors and all this. You'd go on the factory floor and play the newest games that aren't even out yet in the arcades. And according to the movie, he invited you in so that you could do yeah. his work for him. Now, Steve, <laughs> now, yeah, and Steve described how he had put a sound chip that they had designed a game out in Grass Valley. The other place, maybe. Designed a game, and he put in sound chips for this game called Simon. Touch your hand, beep, 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 Steve to Mayer. duplicate the tones. And what? Steve Mayer. He was, designed it? He was the chip guy at Atari. Yeah, I know Steve Mayer. Yeah, yeah. I know that. He did the yeah. one chip. Well, he did the one chip uh, Pong for the home later on, I know. Yeah. Oh. And, he was, and he was also without a college degree, as I recall. Yeah. But Steve, so Steve Jobs had, Steve Jobs had put the sound chip in to make the sounds and get them tweaked the right way. That was his claim to fame. But now we were on to Breakout. And, yeah, and I don't know if it, it didn't show the intensity of that. That was um, 
an <laughs> impossible, impossible project, and we actually did it. With no processor, all TTL. Yeah, yeah. No, no software, no software. There were no Atari games yet that were software. There were no, no Atari games that were color even, mm -hmm. you know, but ours wasn't either. Breakout wasn't either. Now, the story was he was offered $5,000 to do it, but he told you they were offered 700 and that he would split it with you. Now, do those numbers sound like the right numbers? Um, that is what happened. That's the truth. It wouldn't have mattered. If he had said, I need the money to buy into this farm in Oregon, I would have said, take it all. Mm -hmm. I was happy to be on the project. Right. Um, we had always split our money 50-50. This was the uh, the fourth, such the third such project where we mm -hmm. we'd split our money, um, or turned it into money. And really, there was the blue boxes. Yeah. Well, there was basically the pong game too. Oh, right. Well, that worked into a job. Then there was breakout. Then there was a terminal. Computer then there was an apple. And then converser, there was another apple. Right. So, yeah. So. Um, so yeah, he uh, was paid seven thousand. He told me we were paid seven hundred, and he wrote me a check for three fifty. Yeah. But and that you know and that hurts because we were friends, mm -hmm. and do you do that to a friend? But it didn't hurt financially. Yeah, I had yeah. a job as an engineer at Hewlett Packard, so. And Atari loved it, and Steve took no. all the credit. No, Atari didn't love it. Oh yeah, some people oh. Atari <laughs> loved it, but the engineers it wasn't their way, and it wasn't designed in house, and they didn't understand my tricky design. It's too tricky. Uh -huh. I did the entire design. So did did you did you do a timing diagram and turn that in? Because you because you couldn't make sense of it without a timing diagram, right? Well, you know what? That would have been easy to do. Nobody ever asked me <laughs> one question. If the engineers <laughs> wanted to know one thing, all they had to do was ask me. But maybe they didn't know I had done it. We yeah. were just doing it late right. at night. There wasn't necessarily right. anyone in Atari that knew my role in it. And see, I don't know what was said on said you know there. So did you have anyone copying over your schematics? I mean. What do you mean copying over? Well, no, I mean... The, the schematics were left. The, the prototype was left. I don't have a, a thing to, in my possession. Hmm. No, I just... But, I mean, you pr you probably did the schematic... After four days and nights without sleep, you know what? The schematic you just was go fragmented. Home. You go home. Right. Well, my favorite part of the story is you both got mononucleosis, right? We both got the sleeping wow. sickness, mononucleosis. Wow. And I always... I remember there was one Coke can that we had shared, and maybe that helped. <laughs> I don't know, so I don't know who... Yeah, no, it was... That was right. real and, heavy, what, Steve heavy wasn't into illness. carrot juice yet at the time? But we did it, but we completed it in four days, four days and nights. Unbelievable. I, should, I didn't think I could do that. And gave it to Atari. That was a big, big kudo in my life. Yeah, big success. Wow. At the start of the show, I forgot to mention that we are live. And you can send us your tweets and your messages. And we're going to read them and get back to you on the show. So you can tweet us at John Wants Answer. There's no S on the end. And you can... Send us a message from our website. Go to johnwantsanswers.com. There's a contact link on there, and you can send us a message, and we'll read your messages later in the show, and we'll have our great panel answer your questions for you. Okay, so in the movie, we jump to uh, a scene I'll where... I'll say one more thing about Atari. Oh, okay. I really, even while I was there, admired Nolan Bushnell for basically giving Steve, you know, some credit reputation. He didn't have any background, any skills, any any education, any degrees or anything. Mm -hmm. You know, but basically, you know, he was my he was my best tech friend. So giving him a job there, I really admired the a company that could do that. The you know, he Steve met the guys right at the top. Al Alcorn mm -hmm. would drive us around in his Porsche and wow. yeah. and uh, yeah. So they did, however, they did miss the chance to buy a third of Apple for $50,000. Yes, he talks about that. Later on. That's a good deal. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny? I, Steve took me to Atari when I arrived that summer mm -hmm. to see if I could get a job there. And so I'm filling out the form, the 
application and it said experience. I said, what should I say, Steve? And he goes, DVM, <laughs> digital voltmeter. I didn't even know it. I didn't know what a digital voltmeter was, but that's what I put down for experience. Well, no, they didn't hire me, but Steve hired me. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> uh, so we see Steve Jobs coming to your house. Uh, Steve? Steve comes to Steve's house. And you were, you no. were there recording Polish, book, Polish jokes oh, right. for your dial joke service. Right. This was an earlier point in time. Right. This, this was earlier. This was back before, this was during Reed College. The movie is not chronological? No. <laughs> okay. But um, I, I, had, I had Polish jokes. I don't think Steve ever dropped by and saw it because I think it was while he was at Reed. But tell me if this joke was one of the jokes you wrote. I liked it a lot. I didn't um, write it, but I read it. What's long and hard that a Polish bride gets on her wedding night? A new last name. I, I had the, the jokes of the time were Polish jokes. You buy the books. It was the hottest selling joke book ever in the United States. And right. I just told those jokes as quick as I could. Short little jokes. The most called single line number in the United States, I'm sure. I kept the jokes so short without any extensions. A number right. without extensions, yeah. And, and that's it, how you met your wife, right? Mm -hmm. Through dialogue. Yes. Yeah, my first wife. Yeah, I met her because she was a caller. And I would take and, live calls sometimes and, and play with them. Uh, play with them. A lot like their this show. <laughs> and, and, and that was in the days when it was illegal to connect your machine to the telephone line, right? Correct. Where, so where I, did you so get that I had answering to, machine? I had to lease the machine from AT&T, the Monopoly, at their price. And it cost almost as oh. much as my apartment rental. I'm a wow. young engineer, and you know your apartment rental's number one. Wow. Who could ever afford another half of that just for an answer machine? But I wanted to do this dialogue joke, yeah. Wow. So that was dedicated. But remember, I was working at Hewlett Packard designing calculators, which were the iPhone 5 of their day. <laughs> and then and I was coming home at night, you know, really, I was bored and, and doing my own electronic projects, one after another after another. And that was just one of many. Um, so Steve comes to your house and sees this computer terminal you're working on. That's what you called it, a computer terminal. Is that what it was? Yeah, this comes at a much later time, later point in time. Mm -hmm. Steve and I both had gone over to a friend's house, Captain Crunch, uh -huh. John Draper of, right. of the old blue box phone freaking fame. Right. And here John was uh, working as an engineer designing a portable phone for somebody. Portable phones didn't exist wow. yet. Uh -huh. Portable phones in your home did not exist yet. And, it, and then he sat down at a terminal, a teletype, and he started typing and he brought up, he said, I'm playing chess with a computer in Boston. <laughs> what? <laughs> he said, there's this network. And he printed out a list of about eight colleges that were on this network. And you could log in to pick college number four, Stanford, and, and log in as a guest. And by typing the right things, you could actually see files and read things and all this stuff. Whoa, it's just like Pong. I said, I have to have this ability. This makes, I wanted things that made me Superman. <laughs> so, uh, so I went and I actually just designed the chips using my television, like with Pong, you know, snake a wire to the inside and attach it, solder it to the right point inside the television. And I, it would actually print the words on my TV. So now I could type on a keyboard I bought. Expensive, expensive, most expensive thing I ever bought in all of the, the, the ways. $100? $60. Oh my God, $60. That was for uppercase only. It was a special deal. <clears throat> and you know, the microprocessor <laughs> didn't even cost that much in the end. But I could type to the computer in Boston and it could type back to my TV. And that was the terminal. And, um, and I did all my own. And then Steve came down back from Oregon and saw it. And he went to the local, there's a timesharing company that would lease out expensive terminals, teletype mechanical machines, and some very expensive video terminals. We couldn't afford those. We'd just go down to the, the office of Call Computer and type in on their machines with a, a free account they gave us. Mm -hmm. So Steve said, let's sell them your terminal. 
and yeah, computer converser got yeah. called and and we actually made it. Steve turned it into a product and sold it to them. We split the money. Oh really? So how many did you sell? You know, I can't remember if it was oh. 25. It was some small number because they didn't have a lot of customers. It was so you were selling computers before Apple. This was not a computer. Yeah. This was, yeah, a, was terminal, a terminal. Right. But it was a very short step before that terminal yeah. just got a little addition that made it a computer. And it, did it have a modem built in? No, I built my own modem. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I built my modem, but you could use anything. The first time I used it with modems, I had those kind of acoustic so, modems where you take the whole telephone handset into a, a speaker and a microphone and, and, and yeah. I was so that summer of '76. I was doing work for Alex Camrad, building yeah. his modem. Alex Camrad was the guy at the Call Computer, yes. the, which was the uh, time-sharing computer mm -hmm. system that bought these terminals from us. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you have to offer this product to HP first? That one, I didn't <laughs> even think of it. Didn't even think of it for HP mm -hmm. um, because we weren't doing anything like that. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't something like a, an HP product, and um, they, you know, no. That wasn't close enough. Okay, so later you designed what was to be the Apple One, and that's the thing that HP passed on. Well, I think we're working towards it in this chronology. I'm looking. At, this is the movie chronology. Oh, okay. I don't know when things really happen. Okay, somewhere they show Steve coming to to just. Uh, he says, "We gotta make a computer." He comes to this revelation. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to go down and hook up with fine Waz, and he'll have it. And my gosh, I was already going to the Homebrew Computer Club. I had turned my terminal into a full computer with a microprocessor, right. dynamic memory, all the elements that really made a useful computer affordable. And I was showing it off at each club meeting every two weeks. I'd haul my TV set down in the back of my car, set it up on a table, type in all the code for 40 minutes that, that was the basic language and all that. And I would demonstrate it. And people would crowd around me. And I'd show them what it did, and show them what it did. I was too shy to talk, basically, but mm -hmm. other people would come. I had a big crowd following me. And then Steve Jobs had, wasn't ever at the club, because he uh -huh. was up in Oregon. So he came down from Oregon. I said, you've got to come see this computer I built. We're, I'm going down to the club tonight. And he came down. So it was like I pulled him to the club, and I showed him, I showed him what it was. And he saw all the people around me, and he got this idea. We could sell them. I'd given away my design for free because I wanted to help them be able to build their own computers because they wanted to change the world. They wanted to improve education and communication. We had Stanford professors that, that talked glorious talk about where these little affordable have your own computer was going to take us all. And the little nerds like me that were never noticed were going to be the most important people in our companies. I loved that stuff. And so I was helped. I gave it away to help all these people do their thing. So Steve knew we didn't like own it or anything. And he said, let's build a part of it. Let's build a PC board that helps them put it together in an hour instead of 40 hours. And I think that was in the movie. I don't remember. Well, this is the complete opposite of the movie. The movie had Steve Jobs trying to convince you to come to Homebrew. You say, oh, no, I don't no, want to no. go. Right. No, no, no. And then they showed you. I'd been there since day one. Right. I was one of the first people to ever attend that, the first meeting of that club. And they showed you being really shy and no one caring about what you were doing, when in reality, um, I was, was crowding around uh, you. I, I was shy, and I was a pretty much a nerd. But yes, be in the showing off time, after the main meeting where I was too afraid to ever raise a hand, I got inspired by everything. I would go out and we had tables. We called it the mapping, the random access period. Right. And I would set up my stuff on a tables they had, <clears throat> plugged into the wall, and I would demonstrate it. And all these people that were building other machines, the early little machines, you know, like the polymorphics and inside guys, they're looking over my shoulder and they're sort of seeing it's a whole set of chips that's affordable doing the entire job, including a programming language. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was no, I, so I was kind of a little silent star. Uh -huh. But uh, no, I had a very, very much a following and spoke their language. And they were all technicians in this club at the early days. Mm -hmm. They all wanted to build their own computer. 
Are so very, Steve, so so Steve came and um, just wanted to figure out a way to turn it into money because every time I had an, <laughs> an invention, no, 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 that's how he thought, that, and and that's good. No, that's good. Thank God. Thank, Thank God. God for him. Yeah. We have to we have to pause right now. We have to take uh, a short break, and we come back. We'll pick up at the Homebrew Computer Club, and we'll be reading some of your tweets and messages. So, see you in about a minute and a half or two minutes or something. <laughs> okay. I totally messed up the opening. I didn't read my cards, and so I, I think oh I missed my God. a bunch of stuff. You can always undo one button. So You're at Berkeley, right? Yeah. And then put it down between them and redo the button. Not when Wasp was there. I'm trying to remember what Lee Felsenstein's yeah, community memory would have been about the, the same time. Have those mics to one year. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. because, because community memory was before the Sol, and the Sol was by no, seventy. The Sol was by seventy-seven. Oh, 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 Do you remember community on, memory? Did you ever? Heard of it, but I never really used it. I got there August seventy-six. Oh, and right. I, yeah. When I got there, yeah. there for yeah. three days, when yeah. I walked oh. down <laughs> University Avenue, they're looking for a bite, bite store, and I guess I found the address of it. Found it on University oh, that's Avenue. That's right. You came to Berkeley as a grad student, yeah. so you were. So, two, I was there '76. Just one year for a no, master's. No, no, for '79. Uh, through '79. Two years. Three years. Three years. For a master's. I was a PhD student and I had passed oh, my wow. uh, prelims. Really? Did Steve talk you into dropping out? Uh, no, <laughs> like I. Like Bud? He, well, I got into the Apple too and he offered me a job. Right. And I should have dropped out because ah. uh, I missed a four to one stock split. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I had started when they had given me that, I would have got four times as much stock. But instead, wow. well, I thought I need to get a master's degree. And because I was there for three years, I shouldn't just drop out. Right, um, and so that caught, ended up costing. Yeah, he told me he gave you eight times as much stock though when it when he, yes. <laughs> it finally came. <laughs> Just joking. So I was going to ask you the com the uh, community memory. So at the time the homebrew started in '75, had Lee Felsenstein had already built community memory. Community memory existed in Palo Alto. I had heard of it. I'd never been there. People's Computer Company was associated with yeah, it. Right. Yes, and that was where right. the Homebrew Club spun off. And from. it was a terminal. I know. I'd never heard of it, it in my life. It was a terminal with a modem. I didn't know a thing about them. What 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 they had. What they did. Um, but um, and it used a lease. That was the, that was the same mentality. Yeah. So when the Homebrew Club started, yeah. So I was going to ask if you had seen that and were inspired by it. I guess not. Finish this and pour it in so they don't see the logo. Behind the Apple logo. Booth is almost ready, John. Okay. Well, the Apple logo and the uh, Coca Cola logo. How interesting today. And we're back. And we left off at the Homebrew Computer Club. We're going to continue some more. Wait, before we get into that, uh, on the way to the meeting, Famously, um, <laughs> so 
So that scene, that scene really yeah. offended me because it was like him taking me when I was taking yeah. him. It offended me and too. And also, the idea of what computers meant to the world had come from, Daniel was just talking about whether well, it was People's Computer Company and yeah. community memory and community little computers memory. that they were trying to share with the public. Ken the, Nelson's the, book the, was the good thinking, too, that was The good thinking what? that led to the Homebrew Computer Club had been going on in these spheres and... Um, yeah, so I was here. I was there telling Steve how it was going to improve education and how mm -hmm. we were going to be able to type messages in. People could read them an hour later, you know, and and know that the the anti-war march had been changed to a different route and all this stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So that was that was exciting for me. And Steve was paying attention, and mm -hmm. soon it was his idea. And, and I'd given my computer away because I wanted to help these things happen. So on the way, uh, it says that Jobs was into Bob Dylan, and you were into the Beatles. Now, now is that true? Well, wait, no, is this the point we're at? Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're no, driving to. We're yeah, driving no, to that, was, that was actually offensive to me, because mm -hmm. when I met Steve Jobs, he was in high school. Uh -huh. You know, I was in college. He didn't have any Beatles albums. I don't think he he knew that there was this one song like Rolling Stone, and the, he loved this one phrase: "When you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose." Because he liked walking around with nothing but peanuts, <laughs> but little nuts, a little thing of nuts in his hand. No, no, no. And he, he liked to quote that line. And so I took all my albums and I showed him the liner notes. I showed him the the vague, strange words that Dylan wrote. You know, oh. songs like Desolation Row, and brought him right. into all that. And then right. I drove him down to record stores. We walked, we walked San Fernando Street and a few others near San uh, Jose State College. And I, and I knew how to ask for bootleg records because yeah. I bought them before. And then we went in Berkeley and we bought bootleg records. And I shared all that, all that Dylan stuff with him. And we became big Dylan fans. And he said, do you think Dylan or the Beatles are more important? And I said, oh, Dylan, you know, because I'm into words and the lyrics and the meaning. Mm -hmm. and they have life. And he says, yeah, yeah, Beatles is nice music. But we both agreed. We both agreed. Dylan was the place to be, you know, for us. We were more into the intellectual side of songs like Dylan than the little Beatles pop stuff. So why do they portray me as being Beatles pop okay. in that car? It's okay. You know, it's okay to portray somebody there. They had Steve Jobs right. They just had me the wrong person. Right. Um, after the Homebrew Computer Club meeting, uh, Paul Terrell, who ran the bite shop, stops one of you. Now, in the movie, he stops Steve Jobs. Um, this is correct. Well, he had, Paul Terrell had been watching me at the club. Mm -hmm. He knew about the computer. I had not become personal friends with him. What, after we, uh, there were a lot of stages that are left out of here. How did this become a company? Because I worked for Hewlett Packard and I wasn't going to start a company and then get fired for having a company on the side. Mm -hmm. So I offered the computer to, to my company first and they turned me down a lot of times, but they wouldn't have built the nice fun machine a personal computer is supposed to be. They would have built a tool for engineers. Mm -hmm. So right. it's a good thing they turned us down. And then we, uh, we were in business. We, we decided to go into business. But Steve's idea was to build a PC board for $20 and sell it for $40. we would have to put in a few hundred bucks each, maybe a thousand bucks total. We'd make uh, maybe 100 PC boards. And if we sold 50 of them, we would get our money back. That's what we needed mm -hmm. to break even. Didn't know if we'd do it. He didn't know if we'd do it, you know. But heck, we wanted our own company. We'd been doing things together mm -hmm. for a long, long time. So Apple started. Now, now we made a PC board. I took it in, showed it to my engineer friends at HP, and the phone rang. And Steve said, "Are you sitting down?" I said, "Okay." And he said, "Well, I got a fifty thousand dollar order. Fifty thousand dollars when you have no money in the bank, uh -huh. no no savings accounts, no relatives and friends to loan you money. This was a shock." Yeah. I was going to have to go back through HP's legal department to make sure I wouldn't lose my job at Hewlett Packard. That was number one to me. And, um, and what happened was Steve kind of described it like he had gone in and, and told them they should sell completely built computers. But later on, what I found out was he was trying to sell them our 
our board, our PC board, and, and the guy at the store said, all these people are coming and buying kid computers. What they want is a complete built computer. And so Steve said, well, we can give you a complete built computer. So Paul Trell was the idea saying, this is what people really want. Mm -hmm. And we gave them a completely built board. That means all the parts and components are soldered, off, soldered onto it. But you still had to know enough to hook wires over to transformers, a television of some sort, and yeah. a keyboard. You kind of had to supply a wooden case. Uh -huh. So the store, in the end, not only bought them from us for $500, but then they had to buy a wooden case from somebody who would make some wooden cases, buy a few transistors, for, transformers from Radio Shack, and maybe um, and a then, little monitor, a little monitor to put it into a TV set, a modulator, modulator, it's called. Because TVs didn't have video in in those days. They only right. had an antenna. You had to broadcast on channel three or channel thirty-three. I remember or something. that. I had like a little box. It would be channel three or four, and you yeah. switch TV or computer. So Paul Terrell, yeah. So Paul Terrell, in his bite shop in Mountain View, would sell the complete setup, kind of like IKEA. You have to you have to put a few pieces together, but not too hard. So they'd sell your computer with their monitor and their keyboard and their case. Yeah, they, they mm -hmm. sold the whole thing. They might have sold it complete. I never went down to the store to see. They might have sold it just here it is. You didn't take need it a monitor. It, it worked with your TV set. Yeah, it worked with your TV. Mm -hmm. No monitor right. even. That was one of the real keys you to making it affordable. Buy, you couldn't even buy a monitor, really. So um, You're selling for $500 a piece, right? Yes, and, and you know what? And, and yeah, Steve told me that Paul was a little bit upset because he had been expecting that we were going to deliver a complete computer in a case. Like the one I've been showing off at the club, you know, Randy Wigginton's father had made me a wooden case, you know, or the keyboard. It kind of looked like a typewriter. And it wasn't but, $500, we, so it was $666. No, 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 it was $500 oh, okay. um, wholesale to Paul okay. Terrell. And, and, then we, said, they, and we said, yeah. what should we make for, for a retail so, price? Add a third, that makes it $667. Uh, right. And I was into repeating yeah. digits, so $666.66. Not the mark of the beast. Right. So when you want to start building these, um, Steve Jobs and Daniel, they were living together, and then they moved into Steve's parents' garage to build these, right? Yeah, Daniel wasn't around when we did the first couple prototypes, but we just got, we got the boards, mm -hmm. and they were for $13. Every part was soldered into the board, except the chips had sockets. So we had all these chips, and then we went to, uh, we paid Steve's daughter, Patty, sister Patty. We yeah. paid her to plug a dollar, a board, to plug in the chips to the first set of boards. I don't know if she did 10 boards, 25, 5, 3, whatever. Yeah. So the first boards, and then Dan showed up. Steve wanted Dan to come out and help out. It's time to have somebody help us. So Dan showed up, and we set up the, the table out in the garage. And then Dan would be, from then on, I think Dan was the one who's plugging in the chips and mm -hmm. testing them. We, you know. So it started I was out, the first tester. I had to right. teach him what to look for. So it starts out in the garage with uh, Steve Jobs, you, Bill Fernandez, uh, Daniel, uh, Chris Espinosa, um, all all working there in the garage, right? It was and then, that was, you know, it's time compression. Yeah. The movie has like, to only... Like, right, right. Chris, Chris came by at least once that I remember, you know, yeah. and could type in a few things, but he wasn't really working like... It was more like he was part of the, the, the interested community. Well, he was know? 14 years old, for one thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, we invited Chris to be on the show, because he's still at Apple, um, but Apple said he's not allowed to be on the show. So he couldn't come. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so is it true that Chris worked for free at, at the beginning? <laughs> or did you pay him well, money? Uh, no, I'm, no, I'm sure. He just, no, he just came by to see what we were doing, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, and Bill Fernandez, I'm not sure if he ever came to the garage. Bill was um, the one that introduced me to Steve. Bill worked as a technician in my group at Hewlett Packard for me. Okay. And mm -hmm. so, and I suggested him, so when we started Apple, I said, I said, um, let's, oh, this was later on when we started Apple with money. 
<laughs> the second start, the, the corporation with the Apple II. Um, but so Bill Fernandes came along at a later time, but I don't remember him doing anything on the Apple Ones. He certainly knew about them because I, I was well known for having done it in my group at Hewlett Packard mm -hmm. where Bill worked. Okay. Bill told me he did work in the garage in, in the spring of 77. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think, you know, the first Apple II boards needed some massaging. Mm -hmm. Rod Holt, right? Rod Holt had well, that, the, was well, Rod that was after, yeah, that was after we, we brought in, because yeah. Bill Fernandes yeah. really was employee number three. He mm -hmm. had agreed to come with Steve and I, but he had to wait to a certain date that Hewlett Packard would let him go. Okay. Right. So in the meantime, our investor, Mike Markula, <clears throat> was sort of the third one sitting down in our new little office building we'd gotten, and he was sort of like the third one on the spot as employee number three, and the Bill got number four. But no, Bill uh, was, was um, yeah, as early as, as could be. So sure. willing to join us, you know, take the risk. In, in the movie, when you deliver the uh, Apple One boards to Paul Terrell, in the movie, he's complaining that it's not a complete computer. And he goes, they're just, they're just boards, they're not computers. The and Apple One, not the Apple Two. The Apple One, right. right. In the movie, you were complaining, you know, about the Apple One. Like, it's not just a board. How dare you? This is <laughs> high technology. You've never seen anything like this before. I never <laughs> came close to dealing with sales, finance. <laughs> Any of that stuff, um, you know what? Uh, no, so that was Steve's end. Okay. I had I had so much to constantly develop on my end. My head was sunk into it. No. Well, here's I would not. I would not even talk that way anyway. I here's, would just sort of agree. Here's a good you. question, though. You would have, you probably would have advocated to Steve that that they that you you know meaning Apple would actually s sell it with the keyboard and the power supply, so it was a complete set of parts. We would have, in those days, it was like we would have talked to each other about ideas and trade them off and yeah. see what makes sense. And we could have come to that conclusion and it was pretty easy. But you have to remember, before we shipped an Apple One, we had the Apple II working and demonstrated. Okay. Okay, oh. so we knew that the real machine that would change the world. The Apple One was not designed to be a computer to change the world. Mm -hmm. It was a quick modification of a terminal I had to be my own computer as quick as could be. That right. was the quickest, shortest step, but it wasn't really designed from the ground up like the Apple II, and the Apple II had so many um, incredible ideas. You know what? They weren't possible when the Apple I was built. Mm -hmm. Color. The, a lot of, a lot of the, or the way that the, tr the computer memory was on your screen wasn't possible with the Apple II. Had to do it by the time we built the Apple II, the memory could go at two million times a second, yeah. and the microprocessor only went at one, so that left another one for the screen. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say. But um, but anyway, the Apple II we knew was so great, and yet we had to market the Apple One right. in the meantime. So in the movie, you see Steve Jobs leaving the bike shop and giving little hints to Paul Terrell that oh, the next one's going to be great, and he had already seen that's going to be color and it's going to be an all-in-one and that kind of thing. You know what they left out? They left out PC76. Dan, Dan, oh, and Steve yeah, were, right. were in a booth out in Atlantic City. You know, right. my first airplane flight out of the out of the state of California, except right. for a year at Colorado school. Right. And so we're out in Atlantic City, and I'm up in my my um, my uh, room in the hotel because I'm kind of shy. I don't like dealing with people. I'm, um, and I'm sitting there programming in new additions to the basic. Steve would run up and he'd get a brand new EEPROM and plug it in and and have some more commands to show people and. And he and Dan were showing off our computer, and we went down late at night. Late at night, there was one guy with a projector. I had come up with a strange way of generating color that was unlike anything ever in any book. In the books, you gave a number to a device that converted it into sine waves of certain types that showed up as color on your TV set. 
What I did was I just took a number and I said, send the number out and it shows up as color because of the way TVs work. And it, and, and it would have to work, but would it work on this projection TV? We went down late at night when nobody was around because all these other people, little two people like us, two young people, had little companies you know, with pieces of hardware. Went down and we hooked it up to this guy's projector and it worked. And he said, this is the computer I want. It was the Apple wow. II, which was not being shown at the show. You brought the Apple II brought prototype? Yes, you brought, you brought it to Atlantic yes, City? Yes, You'd be fired we for showed that it, now. And we showed it. And, um, <laughs> but the guy said, he, he saw every one of the little starting computer attempts, including the Apple I, and he said, this is the one I want. You know, the color and the games. I mean, so, wow. so, so but, we, but we still mm -hmm. wanted to market the Apple I because we had started on it. It was, mm -hmm. you know, business. I wasn't going to interfere with that, and we made some money. So when you start working on the Apple II, that's when I guess Rod Holt came into the scene. Um, he yes. was your power supply designer. The Apple II, we got, we started heading towards having a real company, and before Rod Holt, it was financing. Mm -hmm. Mike Markla was shown in the movie, and Steve Jobs says, "I got this guy, and I, I, I dictate the terms." Like he was dictating the terms, and he uh -huh. was the leader. No, yeah. Mike Markla was the leader. Right. He was the financial, you know. Um, he had a lot of experience in investing, and, and he knew how to set up a company. He was also a very nice guy, and mm. I'm glad that he saw in Steve Jobs what people like Nolan Bushnell at Atari did. Um, and so Mike, Mike put, put the money in. Now we, the plan was Steve had this plan that came, it was his own idea, a plastic case for a computer which had never been done. Mm -hmm. And Steve knew of these guys that pressed motorcycle seats with a foam process, and this guy could actually process, you know, press the foam into cases. The trouble is they don't all kind of come out the exact same shape. There's a lot of problems with that process, and you can only make a certain amount a day. But we were going to have a plastic case, and Steve had a friend at Atari, Rod Holt. You know, he had a few friends there. Mm -hmm. And Rod was a guy that knew how to design a new type of power supply, a switching power supply. I had just designed the old linear normal type of power supply myself, but the, the switching power supply cost more money, but it ran cooler. It was high-tech instead of low-tech. And oh my gosh, and Steve wanted to go for the high-tech approach, and one thing it gave us was it would keep things cool inside the plastic. We wouldn't need a fan, right. which became a fans. mantra of Apple for a long right. time. Right. And by bring, so by bringing in, basically we used brains to do things that other people weren't doing with their computers. Rod came in and designed that switching power supply, and I remember talking to him at night, and he would tell me how he was a communist. Yeah. And, and actually, I admired Socialist. him as an engineer. I admired him as an engineer, so I started giving a lot of validity. Mm -hmm. There must be some validity from a logical thinking point of view to communism. I've never mm -hmm. had time to, to go research it and read Marx and all that stuff, but uh, it's, probably, it's probably not too illogical. <laughs> You know, Rod later became the publisher of Socialist Viewpoint oh, really? magazine. <laughs> I don't know that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not political. So, um, so before the Apple II uh, launched, um, Steve Jobs is seen as saying that the Apple One is being sold in six stores. Is that correct, or are you only being sold in the bike shop? Oh, before the Apple II was launched. Oh, we got into stores out in. Uh, gosh, the Midwest, Wisconsin or something, New York. He had one favorite guy in New York City. Oh, I, see um, I drove down once to Southern California where I had relatives, and I stopped by this one thing said computer store or something, something computers in Orange, mm -hmm. the, city, Orange or, the city of Orange, I think. And I drove in and I showed him the Apple One, which I was carrying with me, mm -hmm. and what it would do and how you could play Star Trek on it. And that guy ordered 10 or 
12 or 15 of our Apple One computers and he set them up and charged people to come in after school and play this text game. <laughs> text game, black and white text game, Star Trek on them. So that was another place. So, so we had sales, I think, all over the place. Steve would get on the phone anytime a new store opened in the country. Remember, this was a new business. Nothing existed. There weren't stores where they were sold. A new store would pop up and Steve would get on the phone, tell them what we could ship you for how much money and, and probably what terms. And, and uh, that was, he did all the business. Yeah. You know, his, his room, the phone in his room was busy. Right. Um, so the movie switches now and we <clears throat> cut to a scene where Chris Ann uh, tells Steve Jobs that she's pregnant. Um, Let's see. Quite a dramatic scene. Wait, yeah, Chris Ann tells Steve Jobs that she's pregnant. Um, and then Jobs says it's not his child. And so then he like yells at her and throws her out of the house. I guess the three of you were living together, right? Yeah. No, he didn't throw her out, but he was mean. Yeah. And um, at this point, you know, you were the one comforting Chris Ann. I, I, I tried to actually kind of stay in the middle of the uh -huh. two of them. Uh, By this point in time, Steve was worth a bit of money. And he probably wanted an abortion. And maybe she had an abortion before. Really? So she wasn't against it. Hmm. And uh, I think that bothered Steve that uh, this time she was not going to have the abortion because maybe he had the money. Oh, okay. And Chris mm -hmm. Ann has a book coming out in a couple of weeks uh, that tells her side of the story. Okay. Um, and I think you've told me once that you think um, you and Steve grew apart because, you know, he was mean to her and you were trying to, you know, be nice to her. Oh, no, I don't think so. No? People okay. speculate that. Oh. I don't actually think so. so I, I, I was, no, you know, the, the dynamic was Steve and I had a very similar sense of humor. And Steve and I and Chris Ann spent a lot of time together. And Chris Ann was always feeling like Steve and I were ganging up on her, and, which really wasn't true. Mm -hmm. It's just that we had the same kind of sense of humor. And I, I never got that from, I was working right in the lab with Dan at the time, and he never came across that way. He just, he was a little bit wondering why Steve didn't denied it, though. You know, it was so obviously, you yeah. know. What? His child. So you think Steve really thought it wasn't his child, or do you think he just couldn't handle? I think he just couldn't handle he couldn't it. Couldn't handle it. So he because he, he, Chris Ann didn't have any other boyfriends, yeah, and he yeah. didn't have any other, you know. Right. Know. All right. It, it did cost Steve quite a bit, though. Oh yeah. Because yes, they they were. Um, Time Magazine decided to make him Man of the Year. Michael mm -hmm. Moritz came out and talked to a lot of people and heard stories about how little he paid paid off and denied this child and all that and. Those sort of things, um, they decided instead of making him the end of the year, they made it Machine of the Year on Time Magazine. Uh. They changed their direction. Um, they wrote a real scathing article inside, basically based on this this um, baby and mm -hmm. denial and right. low, low payment, low settlement. So then in the movie, they jumped to the West Coast Computer Fair in 1977, where you had the first public unveiling of the Apple II. Is that correct? I don't think there ever was a speech like there was in the movie. No, no speech. They had Steve yeah. but, like giving a launch, and mm -hmm. there wasn't really was a bunch of booths in a room. As a matter of fact, I think even before Mike Markla put his money in, Steve and I had sat down and looked over where you could get the booths, and there was one prime yeah. premier spot, and we had selected, let's mm -hmm. get that. And Steve wasn't sure if we wanted to spend that much money, and I said, we should. And, and we both were for it, yeah. So we had the prime spot in the show, and wow. we knew we had the product. We knew yeah. we had the product that was going to change the world. And that's the first time people saw it at the computer fair. Yeah, and you know, it was still a techie world where people just wanted to come and see what was this all about. Mm -hmm. I thought it was 
unbelievable thousands of people, you know. And Mike Markla, our funder, who had said things like, oh, in five years we'll be a $500 million company. <laughs> As we were leaving that show, all we've done is show this little computer that you can type a few programs in and run things. We're leaving the show, and Mike Markla put his, his arm across my shoulder, and he said, you know, I could, he could tell from that show it's going to happen. This, wow. gonna be, this is going to be the, the new next market. Yeah, huh. that's right. Huh. Um, so then the movie jumps from there straight to 1980. We see uh, Steve Jobs parking in a handicapped spot, which, <laughs> which he did because um, when I worked at Apple, I'd always walk by his handicapped spot and he, his silver Mercedes would be parked there with no license plates. Right. Um, so that part is, is true. <clears throat> and now 1980, uh, it shows him starting to work on the Lisa. Um, that's uh, the time you still work on Lisa? Actually, before that, Lisa, people were working on Lisa in the, toward the end of 78. Okay. So quite a bit before that. Yeah, so Steve now. was very, very anxious from the early days of the computer, you know, that, oh, somebody's going to be competition, we've got to move, we've got to design new things, mm -hmm. make newer things, and that moved us into the Apple III first, which was <laughs> a business version of the Apple II. Uh-huh. And it kind of died. We don't have to go into all the reasons. Yeah. But then, but, but there was you this guy, Jeff did you Rans not like the Apple III? We all loved it. We thought it was great because no, it had all the things built in. Yeah. Right? I love the Apple III. You know I, I would have loved the Apple III except for I loved my Apple II software. Yeah. And I loved the Apple II also. And the Apple III, right. to get around that, built in the Apple II, but wrongly yeah, and limited and cut out the features you wanted. Huh. Um, so it was a bad Apple II, and it also failed in hardware on day one. And once you get a bad name, it's so hard to ever build the, the market that it deserved. It was not a bad computer. It was a good computer. I absolutely say that. But um, anyway, you need software, and it takes time to build a market for that. So, so, there, so, we had, so Steve, but Steve, then Jeff Raskin had come into the company. He'd actually been around early. He came by the garage in the garage days once, and he told yeah. us how you've got to put a lot of work into your machines to make them so obvious they work simple for the person who hasn't had education, that doesn't mm -hmm. know computers on the inside. And so um, Jeff Raskin was one of the key people that knew about what was going on at Xerox Park Center. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you've got to get down there and basically um, led us to going down to see what Xerox Park Center had. You know, menus on a screen and multiple windows opening like you had more than one computer in one and mouses and, and it was pr so impressive. You just, you just knew if you had that, you'd never go back to what you had before. Mm -hmm. So then they say, uh, we see Steve Jobs. And that, and that initiated the Lisa project. You know, working with the Lisa guys. Lisa actually was started before the Xerox Park trip. And no. had a bitmap mm -hmm. display before it, uh, but no mouse. Yeah. Yeah, so they saw the yeah, mouse. We, yeah we'd, hired, we'd hired some pretty smart technical people and a few smart, um, what do you call it, uh, personal interface, uh, you know, human, human using computer type Bill people. Atkinson was really the key guy, and he was Jeff's student at, at UC San UC Diego. San Diego. Mm -hmm. Both right. Jeff and, Bill, and Bud, Bud yes. Tribble, but Bud yeah. Tribble didn't come to a little later. Um, and then Steve fires a guy who doesn't think they can do fonts, because that guy didn't share I the think passion. That's made they up. just that's, made that yeah. But, but he, they did actually fire Lisa, engineering manager, who, who didn't want to add the mouse. Oh. Bill Atkinson tells that story that, that really? the guy, yeah, the guy didn't want to do the mouse, the engineering's too complicated, mm -hmm. and Bill mentioned it to Steve, and then the next thing you heard, the guy was gone. We asked Bill uh, Atkinson to be on the show tonight, but he responded saying, I live in New Mexico. <laughs> really? He does, along with Bill Fernandez? No, you're talking Bill Fernandez. Oh, I messed him up, I messed yeah, him up. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Bill yeah, Fernandez yeah, is yeah, in New yeah. Mexico. Bill Atkinson, I 
Yeah, I, I, he lives in Oregon now. Lives in Woodside. No, no, Woodside. no, 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 he lives, still he, lives. Oh, uh, I could have had place. him on the Busted. Busted. Yeah. yeah. Time for a break? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We should uh, stop for a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Apple IPO. You don't want to miss that. <laughs> you already did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I go to the bathroom. Oh, you want to do a bathroom break? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. Okay. Where is it? Um, going to the going to the hallway. We first go into the building. Right. Turn left at the first right. Oh, this is Nick and Mike. You're making much up for your. Oh. Do we have enough tape running? Is it a two-hour tape just or one tape. hour tape? Okay. Hey, one hour tape. Wow. So we're going to use up. So I don't have to get up. Can you just toss it somewhere else? Does it feel like you've been going for hours? Well, it's been 55 minutes. Yeah. How long does it feel for you? It only does for me. The way I measure time is what I still have to do, and I have a speech tomorrow I haven't written. Oh my gosh. Now you should just take this recording and use it. It's pretty good. Some of the guys you guys mentioned with, uh, like, uh, John Draper, I remember them very well. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, actually, when we started Apple with the Apple II, I... AT&T got broken up. You were allowed to attach things to a phone. And I remembered my dial-a-joke. I wanted to take a computer to program a machine that put tones out to dial numbers, could answer the phone, could turn on and off relays to start and stop tape recorders, and interface them correctly to the phone line. Who knows phone circuits? John Draper. So I hired him at Apple. As long as you need. In the earliest days. And they put just he and I, I don't know. and Randy Wigginton in a little off office, away from everybody else. And, and he developed the board. It was called the Charlie board. And it did things modems wouldn't do, like being able to hear if it got answered, if it was busy, if it was, you know, all those different tones on the line. And you could program it in basic to look for tones. Great board, yeah. But then, but we never put it out because the people at Apple didn't like him and took more people to make a product than just designing it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, thanks to John Draper, I actually got my start in stock market, uh, in the stock market. Uh, really? He brought, he brought me into his little office. Remember that little shack of an office they had out in the middle of nowhere? I don't know. Okay. At any rate, the thing was, I saw the very, very, very first line printer. And I heard bap, 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 and paper was just flying. So I didn't invest in line printer. I went out and invested in the company that made the print, paper for the printer. Oh. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. I mean, because it was going bap, 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 but just still a paper. Might have been call computer where you were. He worked at call computer. I remember, though, when he, was in, when he was in prison, though, a couple of years later after he'd worked for me at Apple, yeah. he called up crying that the computer I'd given him, the printer had broken or gotten stolen. And I felt so sorry for him. They'd just come out with the first letter quality printer. The first printer that was a reasonable cost that could make business quality documents. Da daisy wheel? Yeah, yeah. It was a, no, it wasn't a daisy was wheel. Was it the yeah. It, it, it wasn't a LQ? It was daisy wheel. Okay. And so I, I actually had one. I bought one. I gave it to him. I said, here, take this. You can use this. Because he was in prison working on a word processor. And he was Easy so writer. sad that he was stymied. Right. When he got done, he had the only business word processor for the Apple II, and the Apple II sales were shooting up in the business market because of Physico. Right. So he made a million bucks. Well, no, and then no, the funniest thing—the funniest thing about it was IBM picked Draper Software yes. 
uh, to launch the IBM PC with. Yeah. And that's that where he official, really made the money. Their <laughs> official <laughs> word processor. I was thinking about IBM and Draper uh, together. Yes. That's funny. Yeah. You laugh. Yeah. <laughs> hey. And we're back. And now we jump to the part of the movie where it's the IPO for Apple. Um, now we see Daniel, you're trying to meet up with Steve Jobs to say hi to him because you were good friends and he's been blowing you off, I guess, for a long time. And you plan to meet at Good Earth. And I've eaten at Good Earth. And now it's a, <laughs> now it's a Panera Bread and a Pete's Coffee and Tea. <clears throat> yes. But back then, um, and was he trying to dodge you at that point? Yeah, he wouldn't talk to me anymore. You wouldn't talk to you anymore? What do you think got between you? Just he was trying to associate himself with business people? I don't think, I think Might he, have been partly. I think he just had his mind on other things, really. I, yeah. I just needed a little career advice. Uh -huh. You know, not like I expected anything in particular, but right. he, he really just kept me waiting. Mm -hmm. It's not like we had a lunch date that was broken, but, right. but he really never would, he wouldn't talk to me that summer at all. Okay. Um, we see uh, an attorney meeting with him, telling him, hey, sign this paper so you can visit Lisa. And he's still denying at this point that Lisa is his child. Yeah, probably. Do, do you remember when he admitted that she was actually his? Was he like many, I remember many when he started really spending time with her and yeah? he introduced her to me and stuff. That was in 1986. Oh, that right. was quite a bit later. Quite, yeah. When she was eight. But, yeah, when she was eight. Um, and he's meeting with different attorneys, and they're discussing stock options. Um, and, and Steve Jobs is saying, all these people, they don't deserve stock options. All these early founders. So there's you, um, there was Chris Espinosa, yeah. there was Randy Woodington, and lots of guys. He said, I don't deserve the Houston's. stocks. The guys from the garage. Yeah. Mm. Um, and now, the movie shows you complaining to Steve Jobs about that, but they missed the most important detail. Oh, oh, they sh they showed me complaining? They showed you complaining to Steve, saying, hey, it's not fair that you guys, you, you didn't give these guys, you know, stock. They were here, they made the company. Oh, I didn't remember that being in the movie. Huh. But what they missed was what you did for the people who didn't get stock. And why don't you tell the story of what you did for those people? Well, I took some, some of those people that had been in the garage in the early days, and I figured I wouldn't have had a reason to do what had gotten me my great wealth if it hadn't been for them. And why do a few people at the top claim the wealth when we wouldn't have even started the company without the others beside us. Mm -hmm. They were our friends and you don't desert them. Right. So I gave large amounts of stock to at least some, I forget five or six of them, that had been there right from the start. And then I did another program to sell a lot of my stock, rather than some <coughs> big investor, to sell it at pre-IPO prices so everybody could make sort of the money the house is worth. Um, so all the engineers and marketing people in the company signed up for a WAS plan, uh -huh. the lawyer. You know, had to approve them all as sophisticated investors or something because we weren't public. Right, right. And somehow one day they, they said, okay, we've approved it. Allies and Stad approved it. I was shocked. <laughs> and uh, we went ahead with that plan too. But it helped a lot of the people in the company, you know. Because I came from Hewlett Packard and they gave us stock um, profit sharing checks every quarter mm -hmm. and said that's to give it a stock and to make you feel like an owner of your company. So how many people do you think you helped out with the WAS plan? I don't know, I 40, 80? No, the, the, yeah, WAS yeah, plan, was the WAS plan was pretty much all the engineers. Yeah, it, pretty was, much. Yeah, it might have well, been 80 there people. Was, there was some, some, some bad things, though, because to buy that stock uh, cost 
$10,000. It was going to be worth hundreds of thousands, mm -hmm. but you still had to do it. And a lot of people... And I limited the amount people, each person people could did, buy. People didn't understand how valuable it would be, some of them. So there were a few people who went around saying, oh, I'll give you the money to buy it, but it's really for me. There, One guy, Paul Wyman, yeah, in a lot. particular, some of them made he, a lot. he made over a million dollars by buying up 10 people's shares. Uh, for himself, and there were there were a few others like that too. Huh. Who was? Uh, I'm trying to think of their I names. Never, I never heard well, that. They, yeah, they oh, didn't yeah. want it. I don't care. That's going to happen. But I helped a lot of people. No, but that was the ones from the early days. I helped them all out with yeah. um, a very large amount. I don't want to say including that. Daniel, yeah. right? I think Remarkably so. yeah. generous gesture yes. was. Yeah. Thank you. No, and no, but, and you know, so, I do what's right, and then I don't yeah. have to go my life remembering who did I yeah. do it. <laughs> you know, what was Help the amount? I don't. You know, uh, who it was. You yeah. know which I, so now we're we're on this subject. So you by know, the way, the guy who played me in the movie, Josh Gad, mm -hmm. wanted them to put that scene in it. Oh, he did. Really? Of me yeah. doing that, he knew and that. they denied it. Yeah. Oh wow, bastards. Oh. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my views are not the views of KMVT Television. Or the cities of, you know. <laughs> um, well, but you know, the, the, so it, it, must, it has to be said, the, the letter that I got from you, or maybe it was your father, or, right? The letter that you were going to give me a modest gift, mm -hmm. right? That was like 1982. And then, or 81, you no, had No, it was right before, it was before the just before, before, that that was was before the plane crash. Yeah. And then uh, years went by. And I left Apple in 84. And that gift didn't even happen until 85. Hmm. So, um, uh -huh. yeah, well. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, because you I had amnesia, don't you? Do you remember? Plane, yeah. <laughs> no, he, he gave those shares before the IPO. That was the point. They were pre-IPO stock. And so and the IPO was December 80. Uh, I think so. Some other screw up in your case. <laughs> yeah, something went wrong. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I, really I don't do. know. I, I don't really know. All do. I know is I didn't get I didn't get that gift from you till 1985. Something something really wrong about that. It was after I had that. already left Apple. Because no, I wasn't even thinking about it by then. I anyway, assumed I had done it. <laughs> it made a big difference in my life. Thank you so much. So the movie shows you quitting on IPO day, but that wasn't the case at all. No, no, no. You, 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 you worked on Mac and everything yeah. you, until like 85. You said yeah. you worked at Apple. Late 84, yeah. 84, okay. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's a movie, so they yeah. had to <laughs> cram everything into 90 right, minutes right, right. and simplify things. And, uh, um, so the movie jumps to 1982, and I think this is when... No, it's things, not 82, 81, I think. I mean, that was when the, the Mac stuff... Mac right. started in January of 81? Uh, that's right? when Steve took yeah. it over. Steve right. took over the Mac in oh, January '81. I, I was working on okay. the Mac project actually yeah. at that time, but then I had a plane crash yeah. in Jan in Feb of. So that scene 81. where where Steve right. confronts Jeff Raskin, that's like. Okay, well, December was, '80 or January. 81. It says here that we uh, first before that happens, um, Steve's working on the Lisa project, right? And the board tells him, "Hey, man, this is losing lots of money." Sure, that happened in 1980. That was in '80 yeah. still. Okay, yeah. 1980. Um, the company is hemorrhaging money because Steve's spending all this money on the Lisa. That's not true. No, the, no, Apple, no. the Apple II was well, doing yeah. huge amounts of money. Well. Oh, so the you Lisa, weren't losing money yet. The Lisa yeah. was, a big, it was a big loser. But <laughs> not yet. Not yet. It was, it was a failure. It was a failure. Yeah, yeah, it was a failure. The money going into it, the millions going into it weren't going to get returned. It was going to cost $20,000 of today's money. $10,000 of those, yeah. day, those money. Yeah. But that's because of the amount of memory it took to do a machine the right way with proper um, architecture of the hardware and the operating system. Mm -hmm. That's what it took. 
and Steve didn't have the experience and know-how to realize that, that that's what it took to do the machine the right way. And he said, well, we got to make a cheap machine to get back at them. That's mm -hmm. what he did with the Macintosh and cut down a lot, made it a single user, run one program type thinking from the start and it hurt things a lot. So Steve got fired from the Lisa uh, and then he got to work on the Mac, which is already in progress. Sure, but the way the movie no. told that was, was, was preposterous. Oh yeah? Uh, and I mean, like Steve didn't even know Bill Atkinson, or, uh, you know, until it had like Markla telling him about the Mac. But of course, he, right. he knew Jeff. He knew he knew all that yeah. stuff oh. going on. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, he didn't just find out about it. Mark Markla didn't like, say, "There's this project yeah. for you." No, oh. he he knew about it. Um, he even no. Called, what called it really was time. was Jeff Jeff's sixty was Jeff's Macintosh was sixty eight oh nine based, right. and that didn't really have a future. Uh, but then Burl figured out this amazing trick that allowed him to um, hook up the 68000, which had a 16-bit data bus with only eight memory chips. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it could be really inexpensive. I'm going and to nod like I know what that means. And then that's when Steve got interested. The movie uh, has Steve telling the Mac team to use the 68000, but mm -hmm. that, that, <laughs> that didn't happen. It didn't happen that way. Right. It shows um, Bill Atkinson, uh, Burrell, uh, Jeff Raskin and Chris Espinosa are working on the Yeah, Mac. and that's wrong. I mean, Chris was, was back at UC Berkeley. Chris wasn't there at the time. Mm -hmm. Steve later uh, talked Chris into dropping out of Berkeley. When Chris went to Berkeley, this is what I heard, Steve Jobs advised him, be sure to try LSD while you're there. It's great. I didn't hear that. I heard this story. <laughs> Although I knew Chris, Chris had <laughs> I could believe it. Um, so then we see... Um, hold on here. Ah, so I got Steve a. Never told me that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Jeff and Jobs, Jeff Raskin and Steve Jobs go off on a bad start in the movie. I know if that's you know. No, I don't. Well, I don't think they got off to a bad start at all. But there, it was actually it was the same. It was like 1982 when well, no. Jeff when Jeff wrote a letter to the board. No, before that. That was 1981. When oh, Steve, late 81. Steve, Steve Burl put the 68,000 in the Mac uh, at the very beginning of 1981, that really the end of 1980 was when he was mm -hmm. working on it. Steve got really interested then. Uh, Jeff was against the 68,000. He, he thought that would make the machine too expensive. Lisa was paying like 40 or $50 mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was beyond. And my whole thing is how do you get the disc out? Yeah, uh, but but the, and but and then Steve started hanging around, uh, mm -hmm. and then Jeff um, got very upset that Steve was kind of usurping. He was telling Burl what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff had particular software ideas that Steve didn't like. He wanted Steve's idea was to take all the software Bill Atkinson wrote for the Lisa and and run that on the Mac. That wasn't Jeff's idea, mm -hmm. uh, and so there was a lot of tension. So there's a scene where uh, Jobs goes off recruiting for the Mac. And uh, I actually have, um, we got a question from Adam Rosen of the Cult of Mac website. He says, if I recall correctly, the movie portrays Steve Jobs asking Andy Hertzfeld, are you good? <laughs> and you answered, I think so. <laughs> and Jobs um, drafts him for the Mac team. And then you said, what's a Macintosh? No, that's, that, that's confused. Bill, it was uh, Bill Fernandez in the movie. 
in this fictional mm -hmm. movie, uh, he asked Bill Fernandez first. They had the right. Bill Fernandez character say, what's a Macintosh? That's all wrong because Bill, Bill Fernandez was in Japan at the time. He wasn't around. Right. He didn't okay. start on the Mac till nine oh, months no later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so they, they just threw that in, I guess, because they thought it was funny. Nobody in the company would have said, yeah. what's a Macintosh <laughs> yeah. anyway? Right. We all knew what was So you tell project. a funny story in, in the book, Revolution in the Valley, about how you were working on Apple II and then Steve recruited you. How did that go? Right, well they used, you, you already told that story. That's why, well it was a little different because um, the opportunity for me to, I was helping Burl with the Mac a little bit on mm -hmm. the side anyway, uh, but the real opportunity was they fired all the engineering managers in the Apple II group uh, just one day. Mike Scott decided to, in February uh, 1981, they fired mm -hmm. three of the four engineering managers. I came mm -hmm. into work. Yeah, there weren't a lot of them. It was just chaos, you know. No mm -hmm. one knew who was going to be fired next. Everyone, you know, Scotty was firing people one by one. And people well, the way, thinking, the way that it happened was <laughs> Scotty actually went to the lab manager, Tom Whitney, and told him, take a two-week vacation. Yes. Really? Gonna, and, and, and while yeah, he was gone, he yes. went around and talked to everybody and figured out who were the slackers, and there always are some. And pretty much he fired a whole ton <laughs> of people, not just managers. Yes. Because I thought Bill Thomas was left as a software manager. Yeah. I thought he, he stayed. Was, was he on the I don't Apple think he team? got let go, but a lot Ken of people Victor got let go. The they got let go, the and mm -hmm. there may have been some mistakes in that quick of a process, mm -hmm. and eventually it drew the ire of um, <laughs> other people in Apple and the board, and... Mike Scott was eventually but I, I laid was, off our president I told, from I told day one. people I was going to quit because they, they fired uh, a few people I thought were great. Yeah. And I was pretty upset about it. Bob Bishop uh, should and not then, have been fired. <laughs> yeah, Bob Bishop was fired. And was Rick, he? Rick I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, yeah, he was fired yeah. in that. Oh, man. Yeah. Now I feel bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and word got back to Mike Scott, who had done the firing, that I was going to quit, and he didn't want me to quit, so he called me into his office, and he goes, well, what could make you stay? Uh, and I said, well, if I could work on the Mac with uh, Burl and Bud. And then that's when Steve came by. It was kind of not, it wasn't okay. like Steve's idea. Steve was walking randomly that. down the halls, picking people. Yeah, no. <laughs> but didn't he come to you and, and plug your computer? Yeah, yeah, he did. Well, I at first, I had gone to Mike Scott and Scotty told him that I was interested in working on the Mac. Mm -hmm. So actually I had a meeting first in his office. I had to go to his office. That's where he asked me, are you any good and stuff. Uh -huh. And then after that, <clears throat> he went to, uh, he went over to the little Mac building where Burl and Brian Howard were there and he, mm -hmm. and he asked them, am I any good? Do you, <laughs> you want that? And then I guess he got positive right. response enough to then he came to my desk. But I thought you were working on the Macintosh before I was. Um, for all this. Just about the same. Before Steve took it over. No. Yeah, I wasn't I there wasn't, long. I, I wasn't there long yeah, before my yeah, plane yeah, crashed. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I remember you had a party at your house the weekend right before the plane crash. Like on a, on a Friday night, and the plane crash was a Saturday. And at that party, uh, Burl and Bud were both there who were working on the Mac. And I was talking to them um, about working on the Mac mm -hmm. uh, at that party. Huh. It was like your engagement party. Uh, you had taken a trip with candy like around the world, and you were showing slides of it to everyone uh, at that party, and that was just before the plane crash. That's right. Yeah. And so when the day finally came yeah. for you to go to the Mac, did Steve come in and fetch you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so um, after <laughs> I had um, talked to Scotty, some he came by my desk, and I and uh, he said, "You're working on the Mac now." And I said, "Well, I got to finish. I had just started this new operating system for the Apple II, uh, mm -hmm. called DOS 4.0, that they had asked me to do." And I wanted to say, just 
I, of course I couldn't finish it, but I wanted to get it in good enough shape that mm -hmm. someone else could take it over. And, 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 Steve, and Steve said, are you kidding? The Apple II is obsolete. The <laughs> Apple II is going to be dead. You know, you got to work on the Mac. And I said, just let me finish it up. So he unplugged my computer, <laughs> <laughs> carried it away. And uh -huh. so I had no choice to go after him. him yeah. And then the funniest thing, is he, he took me to the Mac building, plopped it down on the desk. This is your desk. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I know, and then he left. And I noticed the desk wasn't unoccupied. There was, uh, <laughs> all the drawers were full of stuff. And it turned out it was Jeff Raskin's desk, oh who God. we had just kicked out like the day before. Oh, so you had missed... So, so I got, Jeff had, um, he had cameras and model airplanes and radio controlled cars uh, in mm -hmm. the drawers of the desk. Um, now, how did you get on the Mac team? Well, this part I was, must have been my plane crash because I had amnesia for five mm -hmm. weeks. But uh, how did I get on? Turns out that my favorite people in the company were working there. And I could have sworn that, that Andy was already there and Burl <laughs> and Jeff Rask and the people that I thought the most of for their creative intellect. Mm -hmm. as creative people who really could uh, do great things. Burl had been just a technician who never went to college, studied, you know, my Apple II designs, and he became, started designing little little computers of his own, that simple and tight with as few parts. Mm -hmm. So he was definitely my equal in that regard. And I just admired these people. I wanted to be a part there, of this There project. was a little Mac team. I wanted to be around those people. Of, of, of exactly five people before Steve got involved. Mm -hmm. uh, they were Jeff Raskin, Brian Howard, Bud Tribble, Burl Smith, and jo Joanna Hoffman. Joanna Hoffman. Uh, five people. And then when, as soon as Steve really invested himself in it and took it over, he tried to get Woz. He got Woz and Rod Holt and Randy Wigington. Uh, so, the, you know, the early Apple crew, he asked them all. Uh, and he to invited work. me to come. Yeah, and Dan. Yes. Yeah, I and so, so, Dan, so that, that's when you were working, working on it, but then um, the plane crash happened. At the height of the Mac development, how many people did you have working on it? Software At the height? Hardware. Well, yeah. it depends where you define the height. There was the, a, the big for the original people. Mac, Steve promised us uh, when there were about 50 people in uh, the end of 1982 or uh, mid-1982, he promised us the Mac team would never have more than 100 people. Right. Uh -huh. he, 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 right. and, he, and he tried to do that until we got up, got up close. But the, so the concept was the Mac team would have 100 people at most. Mm -hmm. And that's about how many it had at the time it launched. Mm -hmm. so that's a, that's a, by today's standards, that's pretty small. Yeah. Uh, that I think we you know, thought that was I don't know. You big. know, every product of every company yeah. takes kind of some small group starting. Yeah, cuz yeah. Mac OS 10, you know, is just software and there's thousands of people on sure, that. Sure. Sure. Um, but it was a lot simpler. I mean, just you know, the whole operating system was 64k bytes. Mm -hmm. When it was done, did Steve Jobs really call it insanely great? Yeah, well, that was one of Steve's phrases. He called yeah. it, he called it that not when it was done, no, but, but during the whole time. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um but now the board is complaining that the Mac is going to cost too much money and it's and it's running late. It wasn't really the board. Oh, one thing about that movie that <laughs> I totally thought inaccurate. was just completely wrong was the role of Arthur Rock. Uh -huh. That movie totally. cast Arthur Rock as the big villain who chased Steve out and all that. There was nothing like that. And, and well, the other thing was the movie wrote out Scotty. Scotty yeah, was yeah. not a character in the movie. And he was like... President from the was, day we started to yeah, one yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a huge force there and so they uh, took some of what scotty did and he, they made arthur rock do it okay you know mm -hmm. sort of as steve's nemesis the person who told steve mm -hmm. he couldn't work on lisa etc uh, i don't know why they they did that i really like the but actor for they, didn't, rock. they didn't really show anywhere near the reality of the yeah. reason that steve had to be yes. let go from so. macintosh they didn't come close to touching on what the real situation was 
Um, so what was the real situation? The real situation was that the Mac failed terribly, totally. Uh -huh. um, we had built a factory to build 50,000 of them. We were selling 500 a month. Steve had canceled projects because they could only sell 2,000 a month. Don't even go bother designing that one. And so it was that bad. And I think he was taking it real hard that he failed for a third computer he tried to create. And his vision didn't include the ability to understand you have to build a market. It's going to take time. You aren't going to sell 50,000 on day one. And, and meanwhile, we had to save the company. Steve wanted to totally cancel and basically kill off the Apple II. And one, th one thing that he did was he, um, the Apple II wanted to use this new Sony floppy disk that everybody in the world was going to use. It was so great. Mm -hmm. And the Macintosh, and Sony said, we were told by Steve Jobs, they weren't allowed to sell us the double-sided version because Macintosh would only have the single-sided. See, Steve uh -huh. didn't want the competition. He wanted right. to put, by pushing the Apple II down, he'd have less competition for the Mac. Mm -hmm. But the Apple II was our only revenues in the company. It had been seven years, and it was still going to be three more years that that was our only profits running the company. We needed to revive the Apple II, keep it going for a few more years, and build a Macintosh market. And the way we built it was by sending sales reps all over the country to businesses, to universities, to software developers, getting everything we could to build the market. And when we finally did, it supplanted the Apple II market at the same level, but it was going to take time. And Steve didn't have the patience and wanted to mm -hmm. basically give up the company to go with the, to try to put everything into the Mac, the Mac II, which wasn't ready for sales yet. So it Steve, didn't have enough of a computer yeah. for the right and, price and yet. I tell that story a little bit differently in that uh, the Mac did sell many a lot of units initially mm -hmm. uh, because of its novelty, because of um, you know its its positive qualities. In June of 1984, it sold over 60,000 units. So they upped the forecast because Christmas was the big time, and they thought they'd sell like 80,000 units. They built 80,000 units to sell in December, and then and they only sold like a thousand units or, or something like that it really mm -hmm. fell off they had a big boost from the first school mm -hmm. the, the back to school season there so in like September and October it did okay uh, because a lot of students right. um, they had a special program for the university consortium uh, but then in November is when it really fell off I knew I, I was already on leave of absence uh, but I was still friends now, with Steve, everyone. The problem is you got to save the and company been, first. And yeah. no, everyone believed and, uh, in the and Macintosh. Then, but then, I believed in it so strongly, and John Scully but, but, did. Everyone in there believed in the Macintosh you, as the future. You, it's just um, the, uh, the execution there steps. There was this to, thing called the Mac to Office. To be able to save it. That, the Macintosh Office that, that you left out there. But in, mm -hmm. in when the Macs weren't selling, the, the, a major mistake they made was trying to focus it on the office market. Uh, and th that's when, for the big introduction in January 1985, you know, we mm -hmm. had the great commercial, the, the 1984 commercial for January 84. They made this commercial called Lemmings uh, for right. 1985 right. Uh, that portrayed Apple's customers as, as lemmings walking off a cliff. Uh, or, or the no, IBM customers. Um, you know, that was generally considered a, a disaster. And, and the whole Macintosh yeah. office thing uh, never really even got developed. They had, they had some, some bad ideas. The Mac needed a hard disk. That was really the biggest single yeah. design mistake that we made was not putting mm -hmm. in a high enough bandwidth way to, to, right. to get an internal hard disk integrated. And, and uh, meanwhile, and you Lisa, know what? Patience, Lisa, Lisa had a patience, hard drive. Patience, don't right. put out a machine when it's yes. not a good enough machine for the price you're selling this year. 
work on it, work on it, work on it, put it out when it is a good enough machine to sell at the price and you're offering. And part of that with the price was they, tacked, they tacked on an extra $500 at the very end. By the, way, by the way, on. what made the Macintosh finally go was a bunch of people at Steve Disdain, led by John Scully, who went out and did all that those marketing steps I told about to build the Mac market. They believed in it, but they also opened it up and made color versions. They did those things were yeah. very important but too the, in the, the Mac thing revival. that really saved Maybe. it was Steve would was have never done that. Page Maker, Laser uh, the, the desktop publishing industry, yes. uh, which was about the time the Mac Plus came. The Mac didn't have enough RAM, and we yeah. knew that. Yeah. Uh, but we we wanted to get the price down. Uh, but with the 512K, it kind of began well, to have RAM enough prices RAM. prices come down. Yes. So eventually, the Macintosh yes. had enough RAM. The Lisa yes. was the right machine with the right amount of RAM. Yeah. It was the wrong year for pricing. Right. And we finally got the Lisa back when we got OS X, actually, is what I like to say. But but finally, the Macintosh had a megabyte of RAM, and what did PCs have? An eighth of a megabyte. So when programs like Desktop Publishing and Photoshop came out, they had no choice. Yeah. Only one machine yeah. had the, what they needed. Right. So uh, they had in 640K. So yeah. more in the movie, uh, Steve Jobs yeah. blamed the board and John Scully because he thought they priced it too high. And he wanted the price and to be lower. That's partially true. Steve, till till his dying day, blamed John Scully for pricing right. it too high. We asked John Scully to come on the show or send us a, a message, and he said, "I live in Florida." <laughs> Wait, no, no. He said more. Actually, wrote it all down here. He said, "You have some great guys to give you the facts." <laughs> Unfortunately, I live in Florida, not Silicon Valley. John Scully. <laughs> we could have so them. so uh, I was saying earlier, John was in an interview just this month, mm -hmm. and he said very kind things about Steve. Yeah. He said uh -huh. he said he he really didn't think it was necessary for Steve to leave, but Steve mm -hmm. was really stubborn and headstrong, and wanted to be in charge. And, the problem is Steve uh, didn't have the patience and the maturity as when he returned. And other people ran companies before, like John Scully did, mm -hmm. and they knew what it would take. And the trouble is, Steve wanted to go in ways that they felt would not work. Um, so this, around this time, was Apple going to announce a loss because the Mac wasn't selling? Right. right. Uh, at the time they announced uh, Steve was stepping down, right. mm -hmm. uh, they announced a loss simultaneously. That was May 31st, 1985. Mm. So the the movie shows... And stock went down quite a bit, too. The movie shows yeah. Steve trying to figure out how to sell it for less. And then you walk in the room, and that's when you resign from Apple. It's late at night. You walk in, in the room, <laughs> and you say, it's what? not fun anymore, so I don't want to be here. And we don't talk anymore. You and I grew apart. Now, that's not all how it happened, right? Well, well, there were, well I left when I had a plane crash. Yeah. I uh, came out of amnesia, and I realized that uh, the best people, in my opinion, in the world were on the Macintosh team. And I wasn't critical to it to have a success. And I told Steve that. I'm going to go back to school and get my degree. Well, that's a, not telling him I don't like things. Now, in 1985 or so, I got this idea to start a company to build the first universal remote control. And people who know me know that I always love to see the new technologies, you know. And here I was still young enough to be a part of making one. And got this idea. I got an engineer interested in it with me, so I left to build that project. At the same time, we had a board meeting just before I was going to leave. After I'd made presentations to Apple employees, Apple executives on blackboards showing them what I was going to do so they wouldn't think that, like I'm ditching out secretly to have another company on the side. Um, they kept me on the payroll. They kept me an Apple employee under an employment contract, you know. 
um, wished me very well and said I was doing nothing to competitive with Apple. But the Wall Street Journal called and I mentioned that I was a little upset because we just had a shareholders meeting. At the shareholders meeting, the Apple II wasn't mentioned one time. And I called John Scully and I was screaming that at him. He said it was mentioned one time. The Apple II was all the revenues of the company, you know, for the first mm -hmm. 10 years. This yeah. is rather something that was being left out deliberately, acting like all we are are Macintosh. We had to earn our way there. So I, I you know, and I was speaking up not for myself, my own feelings, because I wouldn't do that. I was speaking up for all the people around me in the Apple II division that were just came back from that board, that shareholders meeting so upset and ready to quit and just disgusted with how little respect they were getting. And Steve called them bozos. Mm -hmm. That's why he put us in a building way away from the main campus. Um, a triangle building. Just because just felt we were worthless and were nothing. Were Bub Road or somewhere? No, no, it was no. Triangle no. Built building. It was on Lawrence yeah. and 280. Oh, yeah. I was way out. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so I was doing it on the behalf of other people. They didn't have a voice like I had. They mm -hmm. couldn't call John Scully and get him shaking in his chair. And I could. And I did it for them. And, uh, but I was leaving the company for other reasons. Well, the Wall Street Journal left, said I was leaving Apple because I didn't like what Apple was doing. Oh. And that was not the truth. But, it, but it's history. It's in all the yeah. books that way. So yeah. that's what the movie was sort of had me saying that. I never had a meeting with Steve Jobs. I never went with him and told him I'm leaving, you know, or anything like that, or it's not the same. No. All right. We've got to pause here uh, for uh, like a minute and a half. When we come back, we're going to talk about the coup and Steve Jobs leaving the company. So don't go away. I was told I shouldn't say don't go away because that gives people the idea that they could go away. <laughs> <laughs> I had thought of going away. Maybe I will. I want you to stay. Wow. Well, having all this stuff on the page does make it easy to no. uh, have things to talk about. Wait a minute. Apple reveals Macintosh and commercials at sales event in Hawaii. No, it was in Cupertino. Oh, yeah. Hawaii was the Lemmings one. That was later. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a later year. There was a meeting in Hawaii, but they conflated that with, with the, intro, the introduction. No, but I it went to one in Hawaii, but it was the year later. There was a sales later. meeting in Hawaii. Yeah, a year later. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. That was in... It was where they the were. Shareholder meeting. Well, I attended it. They showed yeah. the Lemmings commercial before it had been on TV. Yeah. Um, no. They did that um, every year. Um, no, I'm okay. fine. I haven't touched my water if you would ever get thirsty. Okay, well, there could have been two in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. They had the sales meeting in Hawaii in October every year, and then the introduction okay. in, in okay. January. Okay, I didn't go to that one because yeah. I guess I was in Cupertino or something. We have some tweets uh, in, so we'll answer some tweets when we uh, come back. Do we have any messages? Okay. Sounds like sharks? No. Okay. Okay, close to ready? Mm-hmm. Five. Go. And we're back. And I'm going to take your tweets now. So earlier I told you if you tweet me, I will answer your questions or have them answer your questions. Did Steve get fired? No, did Steve getting fired motivate him to learn to be a CEO? So Steve Jobs got fired. Well, first, who knows the answer? Steve didn't really get fired. 
right? He, no, he, he didn't. Got, he, got, he had to step down as general manager of the Macintosh division, but they didn't mm -hmm. want him fired. He was still chairman of the board. He could have started he any computer project yeah. he wanted. Yeah. He had it funded so he with wanted, millions. So, so A, Steve yeah. didn't get fired, mm -hmm. uh, but Steve certainly wanted to prove himself when he, uh -huh. when he did. Mm -hmm. Was uh, he chairman of the board? And so point? the whole purpose of Next, really, mm -hmm. uh, was to prove to the world that he could... Um, Surpass Apple. Create a create the best computer ever. And um, uh, Gordon Garb uh, states that Bill Atkinson is an accomplished photographer. Yeah. So that's what he's doing now. Uh, we should plug his app. He has an app yes. for the iPhone called PhotoCard. Uh, that's really fantastic. I heard PhotoCard is a great application. If you're interested in it, <laughs> you can get it <laughs> at, at the, the app, store. app Store. We have to phrase it very carefully yes. for public access TV. Okay. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Right, right. Public access. Um, Gordon Garb asks, Waz, when did Elmer Baum come on board? I don't know who that is. Well, from the Alan, Alan Baum, the Baums yeah. um, had been friends of mine my whole life, and I introduced yeah. Steve very early on to Alan Baum, who was the only person I went to high school with that also was into computers and design and insides of them. And Alan took us down to Hewlett Packard where he worked and showed us early computer games, text-based games like Star Trek and Wumpus. And, and so the, the balance were kind of close to us in that sense. Alan de declined a very early offer to join Apple, but his father, Elmer Baum, loved his mm -hmm. father. His yeah. father was one of those guys that had a sense of humor and laughed yeah. when the kids did misbehavior. And you know, oh my gosh, I loved that guy so much. He was a big influence on my life. And Elmer came to work for Apple. Just he was beloved by everyone. And he was about twenty years, twenty years older than the next oldest. He was already employee. retired. Yeah, and he came and he was a technician, but always testing. No, and he, he also lent lent you guys five thousand dollars to to build those first PC boards as as well as I I recall. Uh, no. <laughs> no, this must go back to something else. No, I heard okay. that too. Yeah, I heard I because we built the PC boards with our own money. Well, well, for the next be. run after that or something like yeah, that. Supposedly, be. Alan told me that, that, that his yes. dad lent $5,000. I heard and, that too. And uh, Steve paid, paid him back the $5,000, yeah. but nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> no interest, no stock. Um, so next we have a question. Um, when is the Waz movie coming out? And I, I, <laughs> Good I understand it's probably the, the movie that Aaron Sorkin is doing. It's not you know, a I think we're, yeah, out, of, we're out of out of place. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. That's that's the uh, no. It's a, a movie about Steve Jobs based on they Sony purchased the rights to the okay. official Walter biography. Isaacson, Walter Isaacson. Yeah. But did yeah. anyone try to buy your book rights? You would think with um, all that, people have suggested have, it, but yeah. um, I'll, no, not yet. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not out there <laughs> trying to trying to sell it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I, I got offers for my book. Uh, but they, they weren't real legitimate. I will appear huh. in your movie if they make <laughs> one. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get back to the show. Um, well, we left off. We, we were talking about Elmer Baum. Mm -hmm. So Elmer's, because Elmer was an old radio and an analog guy, and his job was testing and tweaking the power supplies. And he sat right next to me when I started, I was doing the logic boards, and he was doing the power supplies. And super helpful guy. And we kept him for years and years and years, the longest time of any employee. And uh, he was the oldest Apple employee, we said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so uh, when we last left off, um, you had resigned. 
and now Jobs is uh, about to get sidelined. And so he's planning a coup when Scully is supposed to go to China. And so he has all these guys at his house who are like playing this coup. And then Mark Markula, Mike Markula, <laughs> comes, Markula. comes um, and tells him, you know, at this party that he's, you know, he's, I'm behind you. Uh, but then at the board meeting, uh, he turns on him. Well, Steve no, perceives him as turning on him. Yeah, yeah, and that's the basic outlines of that is true. But they had the wrong people. Mm -hmm. There, there was a different set of leadership in in the Mac team at the time. I had already left, and uh, but there, you know, so you know, it was like a whole different set of people than than they had in the movie. They didn't want to introduce those new characters. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Markla never told, in, and at least in real life, he never promised to support Steve and told him otherwise. He told Steve the opposite. He told him he wasn't going to support him when he came to his house. Oh. Hmm. Um, so the movie shows... Why did um, the movie take all these little, um, you know, privileges and directions, I, always in the same it direction? It would take 20 years to do a movie that spanned 20 years of Apple, I guess. Um, okay, so there's a board meeting. Everyone votes for Scully over Jobs. Um, now, my friend Scott Canaster is here tonight. Um, he's famous for writing all the books that all the engineers read to learn how to write the Macintosh software. Now, he's LinkedIn friends with Del Yoakum, who was on the board. Aha. And Scott tells me that Del told the story that at this, this meeting, he says, I love you, Steve, but I respect you, John. Ooh. So that was an interesting quote, I thought. Uh, yeah, I never thought Del was the most competent. was <laughs> 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 okay. Except Dell ran uh, the division that made the yeah, money. Yeah, the Apple too. Yeah, no, that's ah, absolutely true. Right. Oh, so okay. competence yeah, yeah, depends yeah. what you want to say. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so then they had a montage in the movie where, you know, Steve leaves Apple. Uh, then years later, Scully is thrown out of Apple. And then they hire Gil Emilio. And then they show Well, that there was a, um, a Mike a Spindler. Yeah, <laughs> There's a Spindler in between with the Glossy And over Mark, yeah. Was, yeah, somewhere. I don't know. Um, yeah. And then they next buys Apple. Next buys Apple? Or vice versa. <laughs> That's actually okay. a fair so, description of what Apple is. So it's <laughs> internal to Apple, we called it the reverse takeover of Apple by Next. Right. Because Apple paid money yes. to Next to buy them. $400 million. $427 million, And then all the executives at Apple were taken out and sidelined and replaced with all the Next executives. So like Avi Tavanian was from Next. John he was already there. Stein. Well, no, he was came with Next, right? Yeah, he came right. With Next. And then um, and uh, Rubenstein, John Rubenstein. John Rubenstein came from from Next. So like, and all, all uh, a yeah. lot of the top ones, but not all. Did Rick all Page come back to Apple? Who? Did Rick Page come back to Apple I don't after know. Next? I don't, yeah, I, don't I don't think so. he did. He didn't. Um, a lot of the original founder Next was doing very but, badly. But you know, I talked that, to Mike Markla about that. Yeah. When, you know, the day that Guild called me and said we were going to buy Next for $400 million. And then, like, Markla dropped by my office and said, how do you feel about it? And I wasn't for it. I said, we don't need to spend $400 million for an operating system. I told Steve Jobs the same thing, and he agreed. <laughs> and, and, and Mike Markla said, yeah, that's true, but we are in bad shape with ideas and products, and we need people. And Next has a lot of great, talented engineers and designers, and that's really what we're buying. People were leaving Apple a lot in those days. 
Well, the people that were yeah. left weren't considered um, super innovators. They could crank the, the, the machine around and have the new machine every year, like you tend to no, get into no. the and then habit they of had doing. A, a, a new operating system under development that fell flat. It just failed. It, it was it was It was kind of too shippable. hard a task, and the reason it was too hard a task was, was because of Copeland. flaws in the yeah. original mm -hmm. Macintosh operating system that weren't really designed for the world that would have networking. Yes, yes. That Steve would talk about how he missed that when he went to Xerox Park, the, the importance of networking. So it was really his lack of vision that hurt Macintosh quite a bit at that point in time. Mm. So really what we, um, yeah, so we were, we were in kind of dire straits. But we didn't need a new operating system because our operating system was actually okay. And people were saying your Macs are crashing three times a day. They're crashing all over the place, yes. every single day. But it wasn't the operating system. It was Internet Explorer. Everyone had switched to Internet Explorer. No, it was. It didn't crash in Internet Explorer. It crashed yes, in the yes, Finder. Yes, yes. It crashed in other programs. Yes. And I discovered it by accident. I couldn't get very many people in Apple to listen to me. And the way I discovered it was my son switched to some weird little lightweight browser from Germany called iCab one day. I thought, whatever Jesse does, I want to do. He's, follow the kids. And so I switched to iCab, and my, my Mac didn't crash the first day. My Duo didn't crash. I, by night, I was mind-boggled. It didn't crash the next day. It would go for weeks without crashing. And you know, everybody who said Macs crash all the time on the forums were running servers in those days. They were all running servers, the big heavy Mac users. The servers never crashed. They were running Macintosh. Mm -hmm. They never ran Internet Explorer. Wow. That was the difference. And I went on my forums and I put out this little word, and it turns out the few people that we didn't believe who said they never crashed were using Netscape. I went to two of my friends. One is a deaf technician and one was a financial guy, Marty Spurgell. They said they never crashed. Both of them were using Netscape. Wow. It was that simple a formula, but um, we're past that because at least the operating system allowed Internet Explorer to do it. I'd love to go back and you know run some test software, debugging software, and find out if Internet Explorer had something deliberate inside <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to make Max <laughs> crash worthy. Wow. All right. So the movie shows jobs at home now with Lisa who is the daughter he denied having for a long time. Now she's staying for some amount of time at his house. And he's there with his wife, Laureen, and his son, Reed. And I think the scene was probably put there to, say, to show Steve Jobs is now grown up, and he's not the same guy he was before. And he seems a lot calmer. Um, and so at this point, uh, Gil Emilio is trying to convince Jobs to come to Apple as part of the purchase as an advisor or something, just you know, to help him out. And you know, Steve's hemming and hawing. Now, I remember at the Macworld keynote, 1997, they announced, you know, the deal. And they brought you on stage, too. And they're saying, both Steves are coming back to Apple. And that was the last time I saw you at Apple. I, so don't, think <laughs> they, I don't think they said such a thing. But yeah, I talked to Steve a bit during that show about different things, yeah. So um, did you do anything for Apple past that point? No, no, it was never my intent to, to oh. come back uh, into <laughs> Apple like an engineer. The, the, uh -huh. You know, the way I'd been once before, that was too intense a life, and by now, my um, just being open to the public, the press, and all that, my life didn't have enough time to do that kind yeah. of engineering I'd done once. Did Apple ever call and you? And I didn't want to just be a think-up ideas person. What advice? Did Apple ever call you for advice? Not necessarily engineering, but what should we do? No, no, no. Yeah. Um, you know, I think yeah, I, I think Steve really. I want really. I think he liked being in control to prove himself after his earlier times at Apple. Mm -hmm. And I think he wanted that alone, you know, bask in the sunlight. But he was always very respectful and very nice to me. So uh, Steve Jobs uh, comes back to Apple, and they show him in the lobby of Apple uh, walking around. And 
Now, I know they can't use actual locations in the movie, but they chose a horrible place to choose the lobby of Apple. It's like some kind of shopping mall or something it looked like. It wasn't at all like what the Apple lobby looks like. But they did have a helicopter fly over the campus, and you could see the real campus. And you could see the cafeteria being renovated. The, the day they chose to fly over was like the three months they were renovating the cafeteria. Wow. Um, but yeah, horrible facsimile for the, uh, for the lobby. And they show him walking around, um, you know, Apple poking his head in. And uh, Keith Statenfield, who's on the crew tonight, he told me this uh, funny story, is that he'd be like in a meeting, uh, planning out Mac OS 8 things or something, and Steve Jobs would just pop into random meetings. He'd just walk into a meeting and say, hey, you guys, what are you all talking about? Um, maybe not so Texan. And, <laughs> and so they would... Not Texan at all. Not Texan at all. And so people would say, oh, we're talking about this thing we're thinking about for Mac OS 8. And then Steve would talk for a while and say, oh, here's what I think you should do. You should do it this way, this way, and this way. And then um, he'd leave and everybody would be like, you know, stunned. Um, and then, then I guess a few days or weeks later, half the people didn't work there anymore. <laughs> Is that... It was that time. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, yeah, so Steve would walk around and... Steve was like that in the very early days. He, yeah, if, yes. if he was scheduled to come to a meeting, he wouldn't show up. Uh, but he'd pop into meetings both he was scheduled to and, and not all the time. And then yeah. sometimes only stay for minutes. My manager at work's like that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we have a meeting. Steve, uh, Jonathan Ive. Steve, you know, walks around and he bumps into Jonathan Ive. And he asks him, like, why are you here? Like, this company's a sinking ship. Why are you still here? sort of thing. Um, and he says, and Jonathan's eyes says, oh, I have hope. I, I still believe in what you built. You know, who knows if that's true, because we don't have um, Jonathan Ive here. Um, Job sells all his shares, and the stock drops 7.5% overnight. So he sells like a million and a half shares, because they think he's losing faith. This is still when Gil Milo's that's, in charge. Those are the shares he got for the purchase of yeah. Next. Uh, and he went through an agonizing period where he talked to a lot of different people, including me, about uh -huh. can, could Apple be saved? This was before he um, had come back, so maybe the timing's a little off. Uh, but before he decided to mm -hmm. take it over, uh, he, had, he, wanted to, he didn't want to take it over if it was just going to tank, obviously. Right, right. Uh, so he had a lot of indecision, so he talked to a lot of people uh, and then finally made his decision. It was going to fail. He <laughs> couldn't take it over, and he sold all that stock, even though he had at promised an, not to. At an all-time low. He sold everything. Yeah, Pretty well, much. you know, twice when Steve, Steve twice managed to sell all of his Apple stock except for one share mm -hmm. at the all-time low. He hit the all-time <laughs> low within a few dollars. He did that in That's 1985 faith, right? after he got fired the wow. first time. He sold all of it, and he almost hit the exact low, and then he <laughs> did it again in 1997. <laughs> I remember Avi Tavanian um, also told us that story at a communications meeting. Um, he said, I said, don't count Apple out, because it always goes back. Yeah. Um, then it shows uh, Ed Woolard and Mike Markula trying to convince Steve Jobs to become CEO. So they're, they're kind of tired with Gil Melio, and they want Steve to step up. And he's reluctant. Now, the, the movie portrays um, Steve as kind of agreed to it. When they throw out Gil, he kind of agrees to take over. A lot of people forget that when Gil left Apple, Fred Anderson, the CFO, became yeah. CEO for two or three months, maybe more. Mm. Steve felt that of everyone on Gil's staff, Fred Anderson was the only one worth, worth salt. He was the only one who actually stuck around after yeah. Gil, yeah. 
Um, and then he took, Fred took the fall for uh, Steve in the options episode. Mm. Okay, so um, we see pictures of Ives designing the iMac around this time. So it was in like 1997, which is about right, I guess. Because I think the iMac came out in 98. That's right, May, 80, May 1998. May, May 98, yeah. Um, so we see Gil, you know, saying to the board, well, you know, Steve Jobs has been really helpful around here, and uh, I think now it's time. Uh, we've transitioned. We don't really need him around as an advisor anymore. <laughs> and I like this part where, where the board says, yes, we agree he's not an advisor anymore. <laughs> right. And then, you know, Steve gives all his ideas, like he's taking control, and then uh, they have a quick vote, and they vote, vote for jobs, and they throw out uh, Gilmilio. But that's not it. <laughs> Well, and Steve never really accepted the full CEO of Apple until he had him recovered in for years two, in two thousand. Yeah. So he was, he was always he adamant. Called, he called him I I CEO. I CEO. Interim CEO. Yeah, he was adamant not to be CEO for a while until it was clear Apple had a, a future going forward. Um, so then the board votes for Jobs, and then he slowly kicks off all the members of the board he didn't like, which is I think most of them. I think only two survived. Yeah. So like Mike Markula, who started, and he brought in. No, Markula had to leave. Yeah, he mm -hmm. brought in a bunch of new board members, including right. Larry Ellison. Which there's a, there's a really long. funny story <laughs> about that, which is Larry Ellison agreed to be on Apple's board because he was friends with Steve, but he never never came, showed. He never <laughs> came to any of the board meetings oh, until really? finally Steve had a big life-size picture of Larry Ellison uh. that he put in the seat for the meeting. Cardboard cutout. That's funny. <laughs> and there was a plan at one point. For Steve and Larry to buy Apple. Yes. Do like a that was before, though, before Steve came back. Okay. He um, told that story. Larry Ellison told that story at Steve's memorial service uh -huh. um, about, about him. Uh, he had a really funny story about he He was trying to convince Steve to let him fund buying Apple so Steve mm -hmm. could run it. And uh -huh. Steve didn't want to. He said he didn't want to do it until Apple asked him to come back because... Um, you know, he wants to be on the higher, higher moral ground. And Larry Ellison said, that higher moral ground, that's expensive real estate. And <laughs> <laughs> um, the movie ends with uh, Jobs recording the Think Different ad. So he's doing a voiceover and he does, you know, we're, here's to the crazy ones, square pegs, square holes, round pegs, um, et cetera. Um, we're crazy. We make stuff happen. Anyways, you know, you guys all know, know the, the commercial. Um, now, in the commercial we saw on TV, it was Richard Dreyfus doing the voiceover. But Steve Jobs had recorded it originally. And at near the time of his death, it, um, it popped up. And I think it was on YouTube. Um, and we could all hear Steve Jobs say that speech. And it sounded really yeah, Steve Steve yeah. cared so much about that commercial. And you could hear it in the voice. Like, you'd think he could have used his voice in that commercial without Richard Dreyfuss, and it'd be, you know, amazing. But hearing it later at his memorial at Apple, it really brought tears to everybody's eyes, you know, because yeah. they played it then, too, and it was uh, quite incredible. Okay, so we're going to take uh, a final break, um, and then we'll read your questions. Okay. We don't have long for the break. Uh, why is that? Because it's 9.19 and we've got to switch tapes and people got to leave. Yeah. That's not Mac Hack, for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> Mac Hack. 
Well, you know, yeah, yeah, well, except in Michigan, it would have been closer. Let's see if any more tweets. Uh, people are following me. Let's see if you get very motivated him. Make a lot of good stories. You gotta find some really good. Can we make up something good? Questions. Someone don't make up a make question. Up. Don't make up. Anybody, anybody here got a question? Hmm? Okay, sure. save that. We'll, we'll, we'll ask that later. Different movie. All right. Yes, I think about that. I'm going to check the messages from the website. Ask about Google. Ask what about Google? Nobody cares about Google. Okay, ready in the booth? Ready in the set? John, ready? Yes, I am I am as ready as I'm gonna be, I think. Five, four. And we are back. And we went through the whole movie, and it was mostly wrong. Um, <laughs> we had a question from the audience. That guy. Um, he asked how would you compare this movie to the Pirates of Silicon Valley movie, the one with Noah Wiley on TNT a few years back? And I'd be happy to. Okay. I, you know, I got to the, where I don't want to read Apple books and watch Apple movies, and I had an advanced copy of, um, of Pirates of Silicon Valley, I think, came from Andy. And I got mine from Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, my wife wanted to see it at the time, so I put it on the VCR. And it caught my attention from the first scene. And then there I was with a blue box in the, in the, 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 um, the tear gas from the cops at right. Berkeley. And I said, my God, that's how it was. I just perked up. And it, that was an interesting, from the start to the end, you were trying to follow stories. And where does it go next? And it was suspenseful. And I liked mm -hmm. suspense. And I didn't get that way on this movie. It's just like, okay, I'm seeing more of a story sort of that is parts that are, that are known, parts that are very wrong. Now, you can't go back and take a scene that occurred in the past and sit a bunch of people you don't know and they've never been in the press and get their personalities right, get the words they would say right, get the relations right. But each scene in Silicon Valley sort of was a theme of, of the, correct, the correct meaning of what a progression of our industry as it developed. And it was an interesting mm -hmm. story. People want to see that American dream. How did these companies, Microsoft, Apple, where did they come from? You know, they want to hear that story more than I think they want to see what was Steve Jobs like and mm -hmm. his mannerisms and all that. So I, so I basically was kind of bored and didn't get, I don't know, emotionally, you know, really into it like Pirates of Silicon Valley. Pirates was like a more dramatization of two companies, Microsoft and Apple, you know, at the dawn of the computer age coming together. Whereas this movie was just, you know, yeah, one guy. But it had kind of conflicts and little <clears throat> resolutions and what's next and, and steps along the way. I love Pirates of Silicon way. Valley. And I love the ending of it was, was the best part, I felt, by far, where uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates had finally, Gates had copied the oh. Macintosh uh, with Windows. And, and, Steve says, and Steve says to him, finally goes, well, ours is better. We're still better. And Bill Gates looks at him and goes, you don't get it, Steve. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> although, although Steve learned a lot about um, uh, keeping things secret yes. <laughs> yes. from Microsoft yes. and others. In both movies, Steve Jobs yelled at Bill Gates <laughs> for stealing the Macintosh. Right. And I remember at the end of the movie, too, they had, I think they ended it with um, the Mac World 98, I guess, where they made the deal with Microsoft. And you had Bill Gates on the huge screen behind him. And everyone saw that and thought, hey, that looks a lot like the guy in the yes. 1984 ad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the enemy wasn't IBM after all. 
Um, so that's all I got. Well, I, I, my, my comment is, okay, so Noah Wiley, awesome mm -hmm. job as Steve Jobs, right? Michael Anthony Hall playing you was... No, no. no that you um, played, uh, Bill he played Bill Gates. Joey Slotkin. Joey Slotkin. No, no, no. Michael Anthony Hall played, played Bill, Bill Gates. Gates. Oh, I remember Slotkin that. Oh, I see, yeah. I see. Well, okay. But he didn't capture your brilliance and your humor, right? That was my biggest complaint. And that's my complaint about the Jobs film also, is that Josh Gad... Although he, got it, he read the, my book three times, he told me yes. he wanted to put in. He told me different scenes he wanted to put in, but they didn't let him. Yes. Yeah. Well, I liked him when I met him in person. Oh yeah. I but, want to meet him. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, he, no, he, he I, did not. You know, that was Bill Atkinson's big complaint: is that he didn't capture your sense of humor and yeah. playfulness. But they, the answer is, it's a movie about jobs. That's fine. That's yeah. right. That's right. So we look forward to a movie about you. That's fine. I just, but <laughs> when you portray me as being uh, um, Beatles. And the, the difference between those two movies, they both had good performances. Like Ashton Kutcher did a good good job with Steve's mannerisms yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Noah Wiley did a great job. But the difference is, it was in the screenplay, the script. Uh -huh. uh, I don't even know the guy who did Pirates of Silicon Valley, but that was a good script. It actually mm -hmm. had had good conflict. It had um, the deep. It the deeper meaning was true for things. Whereas uh, the Jobs movie, uh, the guy who here's here's something Dan told me that kind of explains it, which is the screenwriter was a first time screenwriter, never mm -hmm. written a screenplay before. Well, mm -hmm. how did he get the job to write write that movie? Mm -hmm. uh, his dad put up all the money uh, for the movie. His dad was the yes. producer, and um, you know, you know I wanted to see Steve trading off thinking with other people yeah. trying to come to conclusions of what we should do and why i wanted to see that that kind of brilliance and the guy the guy didn't really I, I met him i met him because rod Hold had that screening yeah and the screenwriter was there yes and he talked about that white things but he had he just had a superficial understanding and yeah. but in particular he didn't know how to write a screenplay really mm -hmm. it was just a, a laundry list of of incidents as opposed to things that would show a, a deeper meaning that's why the movie was was so flawed. It did but get even, better. Even the incident with Johnny Ives was was kind of like yeah. seemed so made up and yeah. artificial oh, yeah. and yeah. phony yeah. and yeah. You want so, the real. You want more um, realism. I think it's worth just you know, in making that film, it was a huge choice of where to start it and where to end it yes. and what to leave out. And they completely left out Pixar. They completely right. left uh -huh. out Next. Right. And some of the reviewers uh, criticized it for the, you know, for the chosen arc of the story. I don't well, have an that, opinion for the myself. time frame of the story, which is mostly up until Steve left. Right. He was a different person than the one port the one they portrayed was the later Steve Jobs more the the leader and, and conveyor of, of knowledge to everyone. Mm -hmm. He yeah. was very much, you know, also learning from everyone in the earlier times, and you know, hoping to be there. But he wasn't. He wasn't the able to produce the big winning products that we love so much until later. Mm -hmm. Right, so they betrayed him as being the god we know him today all along, but really not until <laughs> later. At least you like that. Well, so here's my, my last comment is, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I know because I was working with the filmmakers, they, they really did try very hard to get the history right. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the many, many comments of stuff that was obviously wrong, or a lot of things I didn't know, but um, it's just impossible, really. It's an right. impossible task. 
What I thought was that um, the movie did a pretty good job of getting the emotional notes right. That's what I say, anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it got the highs and the lows. Mm -hmm. Although your comment about it not showing uh, Steve's um, thought process in being charismatic and hiring people, right? I wanted to see the way he really thought and the words that he right. would have used to, to yeah. make a trade-off in a product feature or something, right. a back right. and forthness. I would have wanted that. That is hard uh, to do. And I, I didn't get the emotions of, oh my gosh, I love him, I hate him. It just, it was kind of like neutral throughout. Yeah. You know, I laughed three times, you know, the, the Polish jokes and, <laughs> yeah. and the, the real that funny one, real funny one when yes. he said Waz is carrying his own weight. <laughs> I laughed. I, was, I wasn't heavy back then, but All right. it was well, funny. We're out of time. So I got to thank you guys so much for being on the show. Uh, this was a, a great show. Um, thanks for coming out the way and, and telling all your stories. And we finally, you know, got some real perspective on how things went. So thanks, Andy and Daniel and Steve. And, thank you, uh, John. Thanks for watching. And uh, we're going to roll credits. Thanks. And while we roll credits, we're going to do a high five and then freeze frame. <laughs> That's how we end the show. Trademark. Are you ready? Well, we all do our own high five. <laughs> all at once. <laughs> okay. Oh, Isaac, you're supposed to hold our hands up. All right, we're waving. <laughs> the credits are going to go for a while. I don't see the credits moving. Great, there should be more credits. I think we're stuck. Uh-oh. Show me uh -oh. the credit. Where's... You guys got the hands up. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Credits. You need to speed up the credits. Credits should be faster. So, so the show could not have been live. Because he only has a half hour slot. That's why I was so surprised. Yeah, I'm gonna... Eventually. We need some promotional photos after this, so don't don't go away. <laughs>